You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 431. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. Your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 28th of June, 2020. Today's episode, two planes were wedged together following a collision on the tarmac in Aberdeen. Investigators say the pilots of a commercial flight which crashed in Karachi were not focused on flying the plane. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, life's too short. Get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 431 is ready for pushback. Thanks, Radio Roger. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. And I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot, uh, a guy, an airline pilot, and a guy, hence Airline Pilot Guy. And I'm joined by a whole bunch of very good friends and people that know things about aviation and we'll start off with this first gentleman who is in his studio in the country side of england professional photographer former raf rwaf fighter pilot retired captain for an international airline based in london it's captain nick uh, good evening jeff it's lovely to see you doesn't seem to be an awful lot of the crew around at the moment uh are we having a late start or something well, they just didn't want to join us today. They had better things to do. <laughs> they said, look, you know, we have the weekends off, Jeff. So, sorry. Well, well I, I, I guess I understand. But who's going to do the walk around? Um, hmm, that's a good question. We may not be going anywhere, folks. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, no, we are going to be joined. Uh, in fact, that's the reason why uh, Dr. Steph is not here. She's outside right now doing the walk around. And uh, once she's finished with that, she does a very detailed walk around, I should add. And it's uh, a very big airplane. It's a very large airplane. So, um, you know, that's what... That's what she said. And so when she's here, uh, we will introduce her and uh, we'll move on. And then this is kind of another two-parter thing. Uh, later in part two, we'll be joined by Miami Rick. His schedule got uh, adjusted a little bit today, so... Uh, he is not going to make it into Miami until a little bit later, so he'll be joining us later in the show. So, with that, let's go ahead and move on to... Now, you're going to notice something different here, Nick. Stand by for news! Very good. All right, very okay. professional. The reason why I changed that is because every single time I play the, I play the other one, 
YouTube says it's copyrighted and oh. or somebody claims to YouTube that it's copyrighted, but it's not. It's not copyrighted. And I just got tired of fighting it. So I thought, okay, forget it. We'll just try to find something new. It, so. For some reason, uh, that lovely uh, a series that was on a few years ago called Newsnight came mm -hmm. into my mind when they played that. Very dramatic. Oh, really? I quite oh, like good. it. Well, then maybe maybe it was stolen from that and we'll get another nasty letter. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I think this was uh, copyright free. Mm. We'll find out. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So let's start off with uh, A, uh, the first item in our news notebook. Um, planes wedged together after collision at airport. And this is from that's BBC. That's what she news. said. So throw a bucket of water over him, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Calm down out there. Yeah. <laughs> An investigation has been launched after a collision between two planes on the tarmac at Aberdeen International Airport. The nose of one of the aircraft ended up wedged under the engine of the other on Tuesday evening, lifting it off the ground. No passengers were on board the Logan Air Jet, uh, which was a, uh, I think, a uh, RJ-45, an RJ, what do they call that? Um, not a CRJ, um, an Embraer RJ-145. Yeah. And uh, let's see here. I should probably just stick to the other this. was a bombardier. A bombardier. bombardier. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, as, uh, as Matt likes to say. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't really apply, does it? I'm sure we'll be hearing from him a few times on today's show. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Logan Air, the owner of the Embraer 145, said uh, their jet was parked, no passengers or crew members aboard, and was hit by a former Flybe Bombardier Q400, which we understand was being prepared for departure after being stored at Aberdeen Airport. The nose of the Q400 impacted the rear port side of the Embraer, becoming lodged underneath and lifting the right main gear off the ground. The most important thing that no one was injured in the incident, uh, with the crew working on the X-Flyby aircraft being safe and well, yet understandably shaken. And they're probably a little worn out, too. Uh, did you see the video, uh, Nick? Of the yeah, I did, before uh, somebody had to take it off uh, YouTube. And yeah. I, I'm glad no one was uh, injured, because I could laugh about it and say it was absolutely hilarious. I'm terribly sorry to say. They have had some pretty uh, windy weather uh, up in Scotland, which counts for it, but you don't really see, expect to see an aircraft uh, just head off across the pan, get blown across the pan all on its own. Uh, and of course, it made uh, you know, straight line for the most expensive thing <laughs> you could see. I know. It's just like in super slow motion, just yeah. watching it and everybody just like panicking, like, how do I stop this? And, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, somebody needs to get into the cockpit and, and like lay their, 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 not their hands, their feet on the rudder pedals. But I'm thinking, you know what, that probably wouldn't have done any good because I'll, I'm sure that somebody had the brakes and the parking brakes set. But as we know, the way the parking brake system works after, after a time, the it's, it's kind of not uncommon for the the pressure, the hydraulic pressure to bleed off the brake system. We do have something called a Q. Here, I'll play uh, like I'm Rick. Oh, we do have something uh, called the uh, brake accumulators that uh, maintain a minimum uh, required pressure to the. Uh, okay. I, I just. Sounds just my... like him, actually. I, if I could, if I closed my eyes, he would have <laughs> been there beside me. It was very, a very poor attempt at. Uh, trying to imitate Rick. But anyway, um, there, you can't just rely on the brake accumulators to keep the pressure on the brake system. And uh, you need to have the airplane chalked. And apparently the airplane didn't have 
those rubber or wooden chocks uh, in front of and behind the one of the main wheels, uh, main gear wheels, and or the nose wheels. And uh, if there's any kind of um, uh, you know incline uh, at all in the ramp, then eventually the thing will start rolling, and uh, that's what happened here. Yeah. Uh- I don't know about your airline, uh, your operations, Jeff, but we would regularly release uh, the parking brakes once we had chocks in to allow the uh, brake pads to spread open and mm-hmm. allow the brakes to cool. Because, cool. uh, you know, when you come in and they're 400 odd degrees centigrade, it takes a little while for them to get back to a normal operating temperature. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we would do that. So you're relying on the chunks. And if you've got a really strong wind on a light aeroplane, if they say, um, and I don't know if this is the case, but it's it reasonably common to just to chop, say, the nose wheel. Uh, as the wind in, wind impinges on the tail, it actually shifts the aircraft, skews the aircraft slightly, and the nose wheel just slides out from between the chocks. And once it's out, you don't notice it very quickly and, and get things sorted. It'll set off across the pan, which is more or less what happened, I think. Well, you know, we saw the, I forgot where it was, but the very, very high winds, and there was a, um, a 787 that uh, somehow jumped its chocks or something happened or it may have been what you just talked about there where the where the wind veining just ended up getting the nose wheel tires out of the chocks or whatever and it just started heading over toward that airbus remember that that wasn't that long ago that we talked about that uh, yeah uh, absolutely so and they're expensive pieces of kit, and a chock is one of the simplest uh, tools known to man yeah. and very inexpensive. So it doesn't actually cost much to stick a few extra chocks in a windy day in under all the tires, just to make absolutely or certain. On that. any day, you know, as you well, said, yeah. our procedure at uh, Acme is that we set the brakes, and then uh, we keep the parking brakes set until we get the chocks in signal from the ground crew and then we release the brakes for all the reasons that you just mentioned you know the brake cooling and and you know and and we always have to kind of wait for a few seconds to make sure the airplane is not rolling and then once we're you know relatively assured that the airplane is not going to be going anywhere then we can kind of relax and do our our uh, shutdown checklists yeah so. have you ever had one of those terrifying instances when you release the parking brake and just at that moment the jet bridge on your left beside your window they suddenly decide to move it and put it onto the front and it gives you that visual impression that the airplane (laughs) i'm pretty sure that anybody that's an airline pilot on uh, listening to the show has experienced that it's like you panic you go and then the other person goes are you, are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm <laughs> just okay. having a heart attack. It really is uh, interesting to see that uh, happen. Anyway, so um, not a happy ending, but no injuries. So it could have been worse, I guess. So. But it's interesting. They got the AIB, the Air Accident Investigation Branch, uh, carrying out an investigation. So, hmm. uh, they, I mean, they don't normally come in for something relatively minor but i'm guessing that because uh, there was a significant amount of aircraft damage they mm. will be doing a report on this so what if if we're interested <laughs> in or maybe time. they're maybe because of the covid thing they're just bored and they're, they have nothing to do <laughs> it might be yeah yeah jobs worth yep yep all right jump into the second item and i'm sure that everybody is uh, wondering about this one uh the um Pakistan International Airways 
crash last month, May 22nd. Uh, the preliminary report was uh, released, and the investigation so far into the available evidences, uh, the FDR, CVR readouts, footages from CCTV, security cameras, uh, Karachi approach radar, etc., following has been revealed and validated as the preliminary findings. So I'm just going to jump down to the actual uh, findings themselves here. And again, this is just a preliminary report. Um, first item A, they reported whether at the origin, en route, and at destination airfields was fit to undertake the flight. Uh, B, on the 22nd of May, the flight took off from Lahore at 13.05 hours local time. Uh, departure from Lahore and cruising flight were uneventful. They did note here, though, that the crew did not follow standard callouts and did not observe CRM aspects during parts of the flight. So that's there's a reason why they stated that, because that's important. It's one of those holes in the Swiss cheese. Um, item C, area control Karachi East cleared flight 8303 for the Nawab Shah 2A. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's my best guess. Arrival procedure. Uh, and advise to expect the ILS approach for runway 25 left. The flight was later cleared at pilot's discretion to report direct Makli, M-A-K-L-I, a waypoint 15 nautical miles at a radial of 075 from the Karachi VOR and descended to flight level 100, which is approximately 10,000 feet, and later recleared for flight level 50, which is approximately 5,000 feet. The aircraft changed over to Karachi approach and was cleared to descend further to 3,000 by the time it reaches Muckley. The aircraft ended up higher than the required descent profile. At Muckley, the aircraft was at 9,780 feet at about 245 knots indicated airspeed. Now, we talked about this already on the show, how they were way higher on their descent profile than they should be at that point. Again, 3,000 feet versus almost 10,000 feet, almost 7,000 feet high when they reached that fix. In order to maintain the descent and lose the additional height, open descent mode was selected via the flight control unit. Both autopilots were disengaged and speed brakes were extended. Item E, Karachi approach, inquired, confirmed track mile comfortable for descent, and later advised to take an orbit so that the aircraft can be adjusted on the required descent profile. No orbit was executed, and the effort to intercept the glide slope and localizer of the ILS was continued. The flight data recorder indicated action of lowering of the landing gear. This is something we didn't know uh, last time we talked about this. Flight data recorder indicated action of lowering the landing gear at 7,221 feet at around 10.5 nautical miles from runway 25 left. Wow. Still wait, no way they're getting in off that approach. I mean, no, a typical three-to-one calculation, they should yeah. be at what? Approximately 3,000, a little higher than 3,000 feet above yeah. the runway? They're, they're more Elevation. than right they need to be. And you yeah. just can't get rid of it and slow down. It just doesn't happen. Nope. And then we've also, and they don't mention it here in the preliminary report, but we've had several of our Airbus folks um, uh, mention, uh, the, the ones that fly the narrow bodies, that there's some kind of a system that prevents the gear from even extending if you're at a certain, if you're above a certain speed. But I'm not sure if that was the case here, if the gear came down or not. I would imagine just, you know, imagining the situation with a very, very high rate of descent, uh, probably a lot of air noise, that maybe they couldn't even tell or couldn't hear or maybe even feel that the gear was coming down. Uh, 
let's see, you just, uh, you know, you just have to assume because you put the gear handle down that the gear is being extended, I guess. Um, Karachi approach advised repeatedly twice to discontinue twice to discontinue the approach and once cautioned to discontinue the approach. Uh, they cautioned about the excessive height. Landing approach was not discontinued, however. Flight data recorder uh, shows that the action of raising of the landing gear at 1,740 feet, followed by retraction of the speed brakes at a distance slightly less than five miles from the runway. That's odd. Um, you, know, you almost think, I'm wondering if they're, they're thinking, okay, yeah, this is not going to work. Let's go ahead and start a, a go-around missed approach procedure. I don't know. We're not sure what they were thinking at this point. At this time, the aircraft had intercepted the localizer as well as the glide slope. Okay. Flaps 1 were selected at 243 knots. The landing gear and speed brakes were retracted. Overspeed and uh, electronic JIPWAS, electronic ground proximity warning system warnings were then triggered. And uh, then they have a graph of the flight data recorder data, and the, they show the line that they should be on as far as the descent path, and then the line that they were actually on, which was much steeper. Um, since the, this is item H, since the approach to land was continued, Karachi approach, instead of changing the aircraft over to aerodrome control, or what we'd say, go, you know, switch us to tower, uh, they sought telephonic landing clearance from aerodrome control. Aerodrome control conveyed a landing clearance of the aircraft. Uh, when observing the abnormality that the landing gears were not extended to Karachi approach. Subsequently, Karachi approach cleared the aircraft to land. Um, I don't know if that's a routine thing for them to do or if they were just surprised that they were actually making the attempt to land in their high energy I, I don't know either. I, I've never operated into Karachi. In fact, I don't think I've been to any Pakistani airfields at all. So yeah. not sure I've been to plenty of Indian ones, but they are very different countries. They may right. operate very different procedures. But uh, I, I, I have to say, even with you reading this and me trying to play it out in my hand, I'm getting confused mm -hmm. as to what, what configuration the aircraft was in. I think the guys on board must have been very confused because I'm, I'm still absolutely bemused as to why they would have raised the gear right if they're if they're hot if they're fast and they're trying to slow down why would they have raised the gear at 1740 uh, and retracted the speed brakes uh, was one person on the flight deck thinking they were doing a go around and the other one thinking they're still landing um i don't know yeah yeah we're, it's not clear definitely not no. clear very confusing maybe it's a human factor thing where I should probably have the gear down now. And instead of just, you know, thinking, oh, wait a minute, it's already down. They just moved the, the, the landing gear switch in a, the opposite way, <laughs> you know, to put yeah. the gear down. I don't know. Yeah. That's weird. Hopefully we'll, we'll find this out when they issue the final report. Um, at 500 feet, the flight data recorder uh, indicates landing gear retracted, slat flap con configuration three. Is that? Close to the landing configuration? You can land in flat three. Uh, it, it, the normal is flat full. So you've got one more okay. to go. But uh, in some conditions, a flat three landing would be perfectly acceptable. In fact, um, preferable. Okay. Airspeed 220 knots. Still a little hot. That's oh, right. Um, at 500 feet, they're doing 2,000 feet per minute. No, 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 well, no. That's no. about 60 <laughs> knots above VREF, I would guess. Yeah, and 2,000 feet, for most, I think most airlines around the world at 1,000 feet, 
you should no longer be um, anything more than 1,000 feet per minute at that point is for a, for a stabilized approach. And they're doing twice that. And they're doing, as and, and uh, as Nick mentions, they should be relatively close to their final approach speed or what do you call it? Approach speed or approach? Uh, yeah, V-Ref. V-Ref. Uh, V-Reference. Yeah. Um, yeah or, uh, it, it's, uh, it's calculated by the aircraft and brought to you on a little moving speed bug. So it's mini ground speed and uh, it's, it's there. But uh, I, I, I'm a bit confused because... They would normally have uh, entered into their uh, uh, management uh, and you know, their computer to uh, tell the aircraft what flap they're going to select for landing. And if they haven't got it by now, they should be getting flat warnings. Uh, they should also be getting gear warnings. So the master caution should be going and uh, things should be flashing at them. There should be um, indications on the ECAM uh, panel. So, yep. Uh, well, the very next sentence I was going to read, Nick. All oh, right. According to the FDR and CVR recordings, several warnings and alerts, such as overspeed, landing gear not down, and ground proximity alerts were going off and subsequently disregarded by the pilot crew. The landing was undertaken with the landing gear retracted. The aircraft touched the runway surface on its engines. I really don't think that they thought that the gear was up at this point because the flight crew applied reverse engine power and initiated a braking action. Now, I'm not even sure if they could actually get reverse without the landing gear down and sensing that they're uh, on the ground at this point. I'm pretty sure probably not. Uh, no, I, I'm, I, I don't know about 320, but I'm pretty certain they'll have a weight on wheels interface for the reverses. Yeah. Uh, so you can, by all means, you can probably go to the first selection, but uh, you're not going to be able to move them any further than that. All right. Both engines scrubbed the runway at various locations, causing damage to both of them. Scrubbed? I'd say probably scraped the heck out of the runway. Figures here under show selected screenshots of security. And we've showed that before and in, in, in the show notes from previous shows, and we'll have them on this one as well. The aerodrome control or tower observed the scrubbing of engines with the runway, but did not convey this abnormality to the aircraft. They're probably thinking, well, obviously they know they were scraping their engines. <laughs> it was conveyed to Karachi Approach on the telephone. Subsequently, Karachi Approach did also did not relay this abnormality to the aircraft. The landing was discontinued and a go-around was executed. Flight data recording uh, shows or indicates a brief action of selection of landing gear lever to down position which was immediately followed by its movement to up position. Intention to undertake another ILS approach for landing on runway 25 left was conveyed. However, shortly after the go-around, both engines failed one by one. The RAT, or Ram Air Turbine, was deployed to power the essential systems, and I think most of us are probably surmising that it was an automatic deployment by the RAT and probably not a... I know you can manually do it, but I would imagine by this point they were very confused about many, many things. Yeah. And uh, we all know what happened. Uh, they uh, declared an emergency, transmitted a mayday call, and they crashed short of the uh, runway 25 left, trying to get it back around into a, uh, a very populated area. And uh, yeah, very, very sad. Um, and that, for, to me, were, it was the key data that um, I gleaned from the preliminary report. Um, and again, we don't know for sure because we're they're not here to talk to and ask 
about what were you thinking? Did you think that the lighting gear was down? Did you, I mean, were you completely confused about the state of it? Were you 180 degrees from, you know, whether the gear was up or down? Um, yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, at, if they were on the runway scraping the engines and they knew that that was going to disable or fail the engines, they probably would not have attempted a go around from that point. Um, so that's very sad. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, there's just so much has gone wrong uh, on this approach and the subsequent actions that uh, I find it very hard to put myself in the mindset of the pilots because uh, I've never got even close to this kind of a situation. So mm -hmm. I have absolutely no idea what they were thinking uh, at the time. And of well, course, this has happened. Sorry, Jeff. No, no. Go ahead. As this has happened, of course, uh, along with another scandal affecting this airline concerning. Uh, um, pilots' licenses. So, you know, that airline really ought to be uh, under the microscope right now, not only for the actions of this crew, but for the fact that they appear to have grounded about 150 pilots because they appear to have or not have uh, proper licenses. So I'm really worried about uh, what's going on inside that air airline, their self mm -hmm. safety culture, how they're training, uh, how they administrate the airline. It's a major concern. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm surprised that they're they're still operating now, aren't they? I mean, I don't know how they they haven't been shut down by the. Well, I just suppose they're like most airlines; they're probably not operating a great deal. But uh, uh, no, I'm I'm not uh, not sure what the government is doing, if anything to prevent them flying. I'm a bit surprised that some countries haven't uh, already said, uh, we're not going to let you in our airspace anymore until you sort mm -hmm. this out. It's happened to other airlines. Uh, and particularly when it comes to uh, those pilots that appear to have uh, obtained their license through dubious means. And one of the ways that I've seen, but it's not verified, is that uh, some of the pilots have had other people sit there uh, airline pilots exams for them mm. uh, to get their licenses that sort of thing uh, which is straightforward fraud uh, if that is the case then uh, i think there's a until that is uh, that airline has been properly audited i think there's a good case for uh, preventing it from coming to uh, at your airspace if uh, you know you're in the european community britain the united states or whatever well, we have a uh, Airbus um, ec uh, expert in our chat room right now, Captain Al, uh, who is a, a Czech airman on that particular model. And he said that, it, to be precise, they did have proper licenses. It's just how they were obtained was fraudulent. But still, and when you mentioned 150, 150 of the pilots, I'm thinking, well, at ACME, that would be just over 1% of our pilot group. But uh, at Pakistan International Airways, that's about a third of the pilots that are flying wow. on that airline. Wow. Um, and that's all they're currently admitting to. Yeah. And Pakistan uh, International Airlines acknowledges that uh, the AAIB report and have already taken measures learning from it. An independent flight data monitoring setup established to monitor and analyze all flights. All pilots with dubious license will be licenses will be grounded. Safety is more important than any commercial interest and please book your flights on pia.com no they, they didn't put that there. Um, yeah so what a mess what a mess absolutely yeah and i tear your hair out sometimes and and most airlines most countries 
they just go work so hard to maintain a good safety culture. Uh, I think it's appalling to see uh, what is happening uh, with this airline uh, in Pakistan. Uh, and for all we know, this might be just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we're going to find out. All right, let's move on to the next item in the news, and uh, we're going to play some audio. Now we go to this Eyewitness News exclusive, the striking video here. The legendary test pilot Chuck Yeager once said, any landing you can walk away from is a good landing. That was the case here in Upland. The pilot of this vintage airplane survived this crash. Inland Empire Bureau Chief Rob McMillan live with more on the video you will see only here on ABC7. And in the show. Well, the FAA says this plane that crashed was one of those build-it-yourself airplanes, but at this point, there's still no word on what caused the crash. A build-it-yourself airplane. Air 7 HD was above Cable uh, Airport in Upland just before noon today and got this exclusive video of a small plane coming in for a landing. It looks like the plane makes contact with the runway before the pilot then pulls up, but he wouldn't be in the air for much longer. He passes the end of the runway, goes over a road, and then crashes into a dirt field over a small ravine. Within a few minutes, people at the scene are able to make their way to the pilot, who looked to be okay. I was working on my airplane, looking out the front of the hangar, and I just caught this airplane diving into the runway. Uh, it looked really strange. And then I saw it swoop up. I didn't see any smoke. I only saw it very briefly. So it's really hard to say. As a matter of fact, somebody asked me if I had heard the engine. And I couldn't even remember whether I heard the engine running. The FAA says the plane is a single-engine CX-4. It's a plane designed to be self-built by amateurs. The San Amateurs? Bernardino County Fire Department says the pilot was stuck inside for a little bit, but they eventually got him out and took him to the hospital with minor injuries. Well, someone told me that he seems to be all right, so that made me feel pretty good. I mean, one of the nice things is usually in these small airplane crashes, people are able to walk away. I mean, we don't always see that, but usually that's what happens. And the pilot was the only person on board. The FAA is investigating. The FAA is investigating. Uh, no, did you in PSP? <laughs> well, you know, it it, um, it has to get to a cer certain level, I think, for the NTSB to be called in to investigate. Uh, FAA does a lot of investigations here for a right. lot of GA stuff. Uh, I just like the way he said FAA. Yeah. Um, so, um, oh. Well, wait a minute. I just noticed something in the screen. Just oh, one of our GA experts. Who? I just love that. Nick's always good. Yeah, podcaster. I was like, he's going to regret sending that to us. Oh, he already has. has regretted it. Okay, from her lakeside home in the Carolinas. She's a doctor, a skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey guys, it's good to see you all. And yes, we'll say age before beauty. I heard some of the pre-show uh, banter there about <laughs> best host. Yeah, I knew you were listening <laughs> and I knew that you would know that we were joking. I do, I do. <laughs> love you guys. Yeah, we anyway. love you too. Anyway, so uh, what you been doing? Um, flying a lot of flying, so I apologize for. Oh, we're probably gonna have to. We're, we're jumping. Uh, oh, yeah, well, we'll uh, I'm yeah. sorry, I that's okay. You. Well, we'll put that on pause, a little tease. There okay, so we're talking about this. Uh, did you happen to uh, see or watch this? Um, 
video of the uh, gentleman flying the build it yourself um, by amateurs airplane. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. Um, it is uh, quite oh, something. Uh, people, you need to uh, go to the show notes and uh, watch this video from ABC Seven out in Southern California. And you know, at first, without any other contextual contextual data. I thought, what the heck? That's the worst landing I've ever seen. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then once you yeah. know what happened. Yeah. So I guess they uh, they go a little bit further here on this article from uh, ABC, ABC7.com. It said it was a harrowing plane crash captured on video, and, and now the pilot who survived it recalls the frightening ordeal. David Razor, uh, 80 years old, spoke to Eyewitness News about the moment the small plane he was piloting crashed while attempting to land at an airport in Upland, California, on Wednesday afternoon. He faced two major problems. The propeller of the plane flew off. Okay. Problem. Yeah. Problem. Problematic. And oh, that's what happens with these amateur propellers. <laughs> well, these, there you go. It was an amateur build-it-yourself thing. And, uh, we're, you know, of course, we're kidding. We love home builders out there. And oh, absolutely. And, of course, every airplane has to go through a formal inspection. It doesn't just get built and flown. I uh, know. Well, most. I think there are some. <laughs> you can just do that if you want. Uh, but let's see. Uh, also, oil, oil suddenly covered his windshield, forcing him to fly blind. Uh, he says, it was a real surprise when the propeller went off. It came off the airplane, but I didn't have a sudden fear, he said. I've always practiced off-field landings and dead stick landings. Now I get to do one. And then uh, Mayday, Mayday. I, I, I tried to find this uh, piece of audio, but I couldn't. I wasn't successful. But he uh, apparently said, Mayday, Mayday. Just lost my propeller. There is oil all over the screen. Um, and it says here in the article, released audio tapes. But again, I wasn't able to find any. Oh, well, I was hoping it would be in that uh, ABC seven news report but uh it wasn't um he relied on his 48 years of flying experience wanting to avoid homes in the area he dove for the runway looking over the side to try to stay on course but he was coming in too fast and too high he knew he wasn't going to make the runway my first thought was when the wingtip hit and it was starting to turn i thought so this is the way you die huh that was the only thought i had Air 7 HD, which is uh, their helicopter, was over the scene as the aircraft hit the runway at Cable Airport, bounced into the air, and came to a rest in the field. The longtime pilot suffered minor injuries, which is amazing. If you watch this video, I don't know how anybody lived through that one, and was rescued from the plane by emergency crews after he was trapped in the cockpit. He was. I mean, the, the plane actually seemed pretty sturdy to me. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off there. Oh, no, no. That's good. Yeah, it's not like bits came off stuff, is uh -huh. it? I mean, it was like it, it just went the... around and just plopped. Yeah, it was when it sort of cartwheeled up. right at the end of its travel mm -hmm. and it was getting to that scrubby patch. I thought, ooh, that's the bit where it's really going to hurt. But uh, he must have built it very well if it protected him nicely. Yeah, this amateur built a good airplane, apparently. Yeah. Of course, it doesn't um, say he did. Well, no, he did. It they, does. He did, yeah. Okay. Took him six years to build it. Yeah. And kudos to the, man of, the guy who designed it, uh, mm -hmm. Thatcher, I presume. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they built a sturdy airplane that protected him well. Absolutely. So, really, check this uh, video out. I mean, it makes so much more sense now, reading this information about the fact that the propeller came off and the oil, you know, covered his screen. And now I can understand 
you know, he had to get the airplane on the ground. He tried to get it on the runway, but uh, wasn't successful. But at least he didn't uh, crash it into any houses or anything else. And he lived through it. So, wow, what a story he can tell now mm. to his great-great-grandchildren. <laughs> right. Yeah. I wonder if that'll be his last home build. Hmm. He is at 80, after all. Well, you know Perhaps. what? Might be one of those characters that uh, nothing stops him. Yeah. Yeah. Nope, okay. just pick up, keep going. Speaking of... You know, nothing's stopping you. Uh, we talked about this. Uh, one of the one of the casualties of COVID nineteen, as far as airlines are concerned, was Virgin Australia, and uh, apparently they are going to come out of their administration or bankruptcy or whatever state they were in. Uh, they have been bought by the, a U.S. private private equity group, Bain Capital after falling, oh, falling into administration due to coronavirus travel restrictions. The airline was struggling with long-term debt of uh, 5 billion uh, Australian, uh, even before the pandemic struck. Ooh. Australia's second biggest carrier had unsuccessfully asked for government loans before its collapse in April. Virgin Australia is currently owned by a number of major shareholders, including Sir Richard Branson. Uh, administrators for the airline, Deloitte, said on Friday that Bain would become the new owners, with the deal expected to be completed by the end of August. A statement from Asset Bain supports the airline's current management team and its turnaround plan for the business. It also is committed to retain thousands of jobs. So, uh, yeah. that's. Uh, I think that's great. I mean, all the bad news about airlines and everyone struggling, the fact that someone is still still willing to invest and uh, try and bring this one back up to back, breathe some life in it, bring it back to life. I think it's fantastic. It is. It really is. And I guess um, Virgin Australia can say that the U.S. private equity firm is the bane of their existence. Ah, very good. <laughs> Bam. There yeah. we go. Okay. Thank you very much. I hope you're not here all week. <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. All right. Now it's time for a better part of the show. <laughs> the Getting to Know Us segment. About you. Getting to like us. Getting to hope you like us too. Please like us because we, we need that. <laughs> Why do you think we're doing a podcast? We need people to love us. We love you. Come on. Anyway. Um, so we were talking about the fact that you were out there doing some flying stuff. So why don't we start? Yeah. So been a good weekend. Did, did a whole bunch of flying this weekend. Um, a little different. There was a caravan um, at the drop zone and with a, a non-local pilot, but he was awesome at just having me ride with him and, and teaching the airplane. And even Nick's dogs agree. Uh, <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Woof, woof. Jilly, jilly. <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot of fun and uh you know um really grateful to to him for doing that because he didn't have to because he's not one of the local uh folks but we had a, a great weekend yeah it was it was really nice so a caravan <laughs> that's a, mm -hmm. yeah, a I, I, who parked a caravan in the drop zone weren't they worried about some parachutes <laughs> just hitting it you guys call <laughs> what we call trailers you guys call caravan call it caravan <laughs> yeah no. yeah, yeah. 
No, no, you, this is an airplane. You put you stick some wings on it, Nick, and an engine and a propeller. Yeah, and then you just you know it, it it's basically what it's like. Well, I actually, see. that's a good description of that. That's a good description I, of a caravan, actually. I suppose so, you, could. Actually, you could a home build. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it. Uh, guess how many it did eight loads in the caravan yesterday and another eight or nine today let's take a look wow. yeah how does that compare to the kodiak is that a is a caravan a bigger airplane uh so yeah it's it's longer it holds more jumpers um but flies i mean purpose-wise they're pretty similar you know they're meant to take into just to do everything kind of utilitarian okay so interesting was the weather nice not terrible well it was uh yeah until just on my drive home now there was some buildups uh in the area and i managed to drive right through one of those um Mm. sans doors on the jeep so i'm thinking i should just go run back out and like get some soap and clean the car while it's all you know (laughs) so unusual the uh, doors and all that stuff off of your jeep Jeep. yeah i stayed pretty dry so got the got the top on the covering on excellent um anything else going on i mean that was that's mostly it for for the weekend okay <clears throat> seems like the weekend went by really fast um you yeah know, every 20 minutes you're going up to fourteen thousand feet and then back and then down just the down. rest of the time you were just work, uh work work work, just work doing work, doing work. work. yeah work, it's been work, work, report time work. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been really busy at work. Um, next week's going to be a busy week too. We're kind of picking back up with things, and um, yeah, just just busy. Okay, but it's good. keeps me keeps me occupied. keeps me out of trouble. I have, right. always have to have something to do. Excellent. Yeah, you're a busy person, and that makes you happy. Oh, can you hear the thunder outside? Nope. No. Okay. What does it sound like? Thunder. Okay. Uh, I was hoping you were gonna. An impression of thunder? No, that's like me singing. It's it's not going to go well. <laughs> okay, um, I'll put I'll put some sounds of thunder in. Yeah, just and post edit some background. <laughs> the people are going to be listening, going, uh, "How could he not hear that?" Right. It's like <laughs> it's just so, so, obvious. so obvious, loud and obvious. So obvious. Um, Nick, sir, how are you doing? Uh, do very well, thank you very much. Yeah, everything's fine and be over here. Um, it's interesting. I was uh, looking back at my calendar, and uh, last week um, I was due to host um, RH from Opposing Bases, his oh. dad, who was coming over for a, a cruise, and we were going to pick him up uh, from Dover uh, and deposit him at Southampton. And in the meantime, we were going to take him for a visit of Stonehenge because that apparently is something he's always wanted to do Never. and it just reminded me that uh you know he had to cancel out because he the cruises were all canceled and uh we were gonna uh, have a good time so obviously missed on on that opportunity which was a real shame um not much else really although i also did some flying um i <laughs> you're supposed to say really uh, well, I had to unmute myself. I was in the middle of replying to some You briefly you, mentioned it, I think, on the last show that you were going to go out and fly. Maybe, yes. maybe not. I, but what I kind of, What kind of flying was this, Nick? Oh, it was very exciting flying. Yeah. Four engines. Oh, I can hear it now. <laughs> uh, sounds very close. I should probably take cover. Uh, yeah, I'll I think be back you there. should go into the basement quickly. Uh, 
yeah, yeah the, or, I, you know a lot of like high altitude stuff or, uh, uh, yeah very yeah. actually yeah uh, for, i had to retake all my exams beforehand as well because and pay I a lot of money that, yeah my license had uh, yeah a lot of money uh, nine pounds my license had uh, lapsed so i couldn't use that i had to go and get a uh, a license to fly this particular flying machine uh, which i had to do online um 20 questions but unlimited tries. So I think, you know, you can... Well, you know, that doesn't make me feel very confident about people flying <laughs> around in these things. Which... Oh, people? No, 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 people flying around. Now, I, uh, I got a request from a local farmer to uh, take a look at his crops for him on with my drone. So uh, I went, oh, yeah, no problems. But since the last time I flew it, uh, I must do you a really good... Um, recording of my <laughs> drone, like, which actually sounds like, like my drone. drone. <laughs> <laughs> your your uh, vacuum cleaner? No, definitely not. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, I had to go and sit the operator's license and the flyer's license, uh, and pay nine pounds for the privilege of having it, it being able to operate my drone for a year, uh, which is, I think, a little bit much. I mean, once you've done it, you should have. That should be it. Why you have to redo this every year, I don't know. But uh, there you go. Anyway, having taken said and passed said exams, I got one wrong. Uh, I was being overly oh. cautious. Yes, I know. Dreadful, wasn't it? Got one wrong. I was being a little overly cautious. <laughs> uh, and uh, actually, you read too it, much into it. It was. It was uh, a, a thing concerning privacy that if you manage to uh, take pictures of a naked lady in her back garden, what should you do? Um, Share it with all your friends. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Yeah, sadly, that was the wrong answer. Dang it. <laughs> I would have missed that one. <laughs> I know. So, uh, but I did get out uh, and uh, fly this. And actually, I haven't flown it for a very long time. And it's quite an interesting drone. It's called a 3DR. It's uh, my a very good American company that sadly went bankrupt. Oh. Uh, they had built all these superb drones, but due to manufacturing delays, they came out onto the shops just after DJI, undercut them, and swamped the market. So, these really, really nicely built drones. The company went bust, and uh, I just managed to get hold of one in my favorite camera store in New York, uh, B&H Photo. Da -dang! Um, and they were flogging them, yeah, for about $360. Uh, and I thought, well, it's a really nice-looking piece of kit for that, and it's got a gimbaled mount for my GoPro and all that kind of stuff, and uh, proper, you know, and uh, you've got your phone on it. Uh, yeah, uh. flying controls. <laughs> Nick is doing impressions today. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm taking the day off from impressions. I love it. <laughs> Actually, can you see the rain behind me, like out the window? Oh, oh yeah, it is pouring right now. Oh, oh, so it is. I'm listening to see if you can hear it rattling off your tin roof. Now, these it are dynamic microphones. Do so. Yeah, yeah your mic's be good, keeping everything out. So anyway, I zoomed this thing up to 400 feet and whizzed around his fields, which was actually uh, uh, quite interesting. I'll give it another go. I'll use slightly different camera settings. But uh, other than that, it was great fun. And oh, there the only other thing was, of course, uh, I pitched up on a lovely uh, get-together yesterday to wish our lovely friend Armando happy birthday. 
So uh, that was great fun. And uh, happy birthday, Armando, from all of us on the APG. I was very pleased to represent uh, all the APG crew and uh, wish you a happy birthday at the time in your surprise Zoom party. Um, But uh, no, it was great. That's been my week. It's been very interesting. Well, Armando, I'm sorry I missed it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday, Armando. Armando. Happy birthday to you. you. All right. And many more. And many more. All right. Um, Anything else? That's it. All right. Well, I got some stuff. Oh, good. All right. Um, So, you know, a lot of people, I mean, you know, the APG has been around now for, I don't know, almost 11 years. And it's become kind of a kind of a fixture here in the, the town that I live, Roswell, uh, Georgia. And uh, so much so, I, I, I saw this on uh, television. I was kind of taken aback. I, I want to know what's going on. There are millions and millions of people that want to go there, that want to see it. I won't talk to you about what I know about it, but it's very interesting. But Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. A lot of people would like to know what's going on. <laughs> did yeah. You mean, did you mean the town in Georgia? Yeah. You think, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty definitely. sure. Yeah. <laughs> what? You, you think that maybe they were I mean, there, I, I can think else? of another Roswell that, you know. What? Sometimes ends up in the news for various oh, things. Okay. Well, then I'm sorry. Maybe I misunderstood the whole thing. Okay. That, no, it's definitely for the APG. But well, it doesn't help having that damn great big silver saucer in your backyard, Jeff. Yeah, well, I told you we're not going to talk about that. And those house guests of yours with the yeah. funny looking eyes. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, I, uh, you know, I, my fleet has been retired. I haven't been doing a lot of flying. It's been over a month now since my last flight, and I'm not projected to go to training until uh, October. I guess I don't know. I haven't heard anything new. So, um, I've been. Um, Thinking about doing some time-honored traditions this summer, like going to the beach, cookouts. And of course, the most time-honored tradition of all, the road trip. Road trip. Road trip. That's what I'm going to do. Sounds great. Nice. Yeah. So, Where are you uh, going? <laughs> APG community member, friend of the uh, uh, community, uh, Stephen Ivey, uh, who is a... Oh, I was about to say his real airline, an Acme Junior uh, pilot. Uh, he is also um, moving out to California to uh, um, do some some other work, and at the same time, uh, alongside his uh, flying, and he needs to get his car out to the West Coast, and he asked if um, I would be interested interested in being his co-pilot. And helping him drive across the country, and we can maybe, you know, see some things along the way. So that I said, yeah, nothing else to do here. So we're planning on leaving after the Fourth of July weekend, which is next weekend. Um, and I think it's the Fourth of July weekend everywhere in the world, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But here in the U.S., it has some significance. I mean, it's, it's the same date everywhere in the world. I think. Right. Yeah, but but so here I, it's just I, the just the Fourth of no, July. It's the Fourth of July weekend. I mean, yeah. this is the you don't call 20th, it treason day. This no, is the Trader's Day. Trader's Day. 
anyway, uh, Independence Day uh, holiday for us here uh, on Monday after the Fourth uh, of July weekend. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna head on out. And we're going to head west. And I think some of the places we're going to, I think the first night we're going to try to make it to Fort Smith, Arkansas. And then we're going to um, make it through the panhandle of um, of Texas, uh, past Amarillo on the way into New Mexico. And we're, I think we're going to try to make it to Santa Rosa, New Mexico. And then from there, we're going to head up toward Durango, Colorado, and maybe do that uh, narrow gauge train that um, is kind of a famous thing for a lot of people to do, especially train enthusiasts. And then uh, going to make it up into Utah, uh, kind of Steph's Woo-hoo. territory. Uh, Moab, Southern Utah. Moab. Southern Utah. Yep. Yeah. And there are a couple of uh, national parks. Par- par- parches. I was thinking arches already. <laughs> national parks. Arches is one of them. And uh, I think the other one's Canyon Canyonlands. Canyonlands. Beautiful places. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. And then we're going to see another national park, the Grand Canyon. We're going to go to the North Rim and the South Rim and the West Rim and the East Rim. No, just the North. <laughs> uh, that would be okay. hit the grand rectangle. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's very, very boxy these days. I don't know. Just, you know. So I might not be uh, right on that, uh, the last two. And then uh, eventually over toward Death Valley. And then finally. Um, if you survive. If we then you'll, Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So um, not our next show, but the show after that uh, will be, uh, Stephen and I will be doing it while we're on the road. I mean, not necessarily on the actual road. Like in the car, driving? Well, I'm not even sure we're going to do that. We'll probably wait until we're somewhere where we can set up yeah. the uh, mobile studio. So looking forward to that. Um, Let's see. We also talked about the Aerobility Armchair Air Show 2020. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch any of that or yeah, not. Yeah, I watched some of that. It was, that. Like was all day good. Long. It was yeah. very long. Uh, but I caught a lot of the um, of the air show stuff on it, and it was very well done. And um, so I hope that many of you listening had a chance to, uh, to watch that as well. Yeah, I saw Mike, one of our uh, skippers, uh, a mild airline, uh, who... Uh, Sadly, uh, is uh, an amputee. He's lost part of one of his legs. Um, lovely bloke, a gr- great uh, flying history. Uh, he suffered cerebral malaria when he was out doing uh, UN um, famine relief work, flying C 130s. Uh, and uh, so, he, you know, he's, he's got a very interesting life. And now he's, uh, he's one leg's a bit shorter than the other. But um, he also participates uh, in uh, these, this d- disabled flying organization. And uh, they even have even formed a formation team, which I think is uh, very cool. good. So uh, it's, a, it's a great event and uh, lovely to be able to support it. Yeah, great organization. And uh, well done for them to do this virtual air show. And I look forward to uh, them doing it again in the future. It was a uh, mm. It was pretty cool. I guess they're planning on doing it again. I don't know. I would hope so. There were some really good, uh, you know, uh, flying sequences that they showed. And more interestingly, the display pilots who uh, flew them describing what they were doing at the time. It was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from um, now uh, pretty much uh, earthbound. Uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, you usually don't get that level of detail when you're just standing there. You know, watching the show is great in person, obviously, mm-hmm. but 
it's kind of nice to have that behind the scenes too. It's a little different. Absolutely. You had talking about all the gates and the heights and the yeah. speeds they have to achieve and all how the they're working to stay on the details. crowd lines and all the technical stuff that's going through their heads whilst they're doing all these low-level aerobatics. You know, amazing. In many ways, I think it was almost better than a real air show. I mean, if you, it's, I wish there was a way to combine all what we experienced doing that virtual thing, yeah. but then actually being there and smelling the smells and seeing and, and hearing the sounds and all of that. That would be perfect. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Captain Al wouldn't have enjoyed it because he wouldn't have had any. Oh, yeah, a lot of it was a lot of military. Um, yeah. Great, great noisy things. He wouldn't have had ice cream on tap. It, here's the nice thing about it you can you know just go to the grocery store like the night before <laughs> i don't think it's quite the same of... as a mr whippy probably not no no, no. really oh, wow. is anything the same no, no. Uh, and there was a lot of gray stuff which was great i thought yeah i liked it it was a lot of fun all right and very informative as you say um we received some email from andy crossley he's uh from a firm called Aeromedia Network, based in the UK. He's a newish listener, having found our lockdown rules kept us away from aviation photography and flights due to the COVID. I've had nothing to take images of. I'm not a pilot, but I think I fall into that category. I wish I was a pilot. Great listening to you guys and gals on the podcast, and having searched the internet for something good to listen to uh, that didn't go on and on like a dull moan. I found another U.S.-based podcaster that did fill me with dribble, and that life lasted only 30 seconds. <laughs> wow. He doesn't give shows very long, does he? Huh. Um, however, um, I did find a podcast that has three hours worth of dribble. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did find one. I mean, it's three hours, definitely better than 30 seconds. Yeah, yes. and no wonder I'm so dehydrated after dribbling <laughs> for three hours. <laughs> However, I did find one podcast called APG, and I'm now in the pod, into podcast number 10 with you guys, and I find it hard not to listen. I make time in my busy schedule to sit and listen. I have to say, it's a great show, and you have me hooked. That's great, Andy. I'm glad you're part of our community now. He Absolutely. Said, I'd, like, I'd like to add, uh, we have a great guy on our team based in America called Brian Gore, a.k.a. Peach Air a long-time service guy with Delta in some capacity. That's our sister airline. He's never left. He's completed 38 years so far, and his hometown is ATL. Not sure if you've heard of the little wise man hanging around your aircraft at some point. Mm, I don't recognize the name, but again, that's not my airline. Um, uh, I'd like to extend my thank you to yourself and the APG crew for this wonderful podcast. We would like to donate an image of your choice from our website for your office wall. And then he gave me a link to the aeromedianetwork.com. And I hope that everybody else will take a look at uh, his website and uh, maybe see something that they might want uh, a print of. Uh, he says, have a look and let me know. So I did. I went over to aeromedianetwork.com and I, uh, I did a search for um, Mad Dogs. And I found this mm. photo. And I thought, I like I like this one. Now, he didn't have one of Acme. He only had this one of our sister airline. Uh, it's a, a view from the uh, the bottom up. Don't get too excited there. And uh, he actually had it printed on, um, on canvas um, here in the U.S. So he didn't have to 
you know, ship it over from the UK. So thank you very much, Andy. Wonderful. Appreciate that. Well, a great looking shot, actually, from that angle, isn't it? So the underside of the uh, MD-88. Yeah, the soft belly. The soft belly. Are you talking about me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he says, all the best, Andy Crossley, UK listener, over and out. So again, I um, recommend that everybody check out Andy's company, his website, Aeromedia. That's aeromedianetworks.com. And uh, maybe you'll see something that you might want a print of there. Okay, and let's see if there's anything else I need to talk about before we move on. And, oh yeah, I do. So we always mention the social media, uh, social meds that we're on and active in on the uh, at the end of the show. If, if you ever make it that far, uh, you'll know that Hillel um, usually is wherever we're recording or wherever I'm recording for some reason. And uh, he is the one that kind of came up with this idea to, to have a, a Slack team. And I've been a slacker, I have to admit. And so today before the show, I went on there to see what I've missed. <laughs> I've missed a lot. Uh, so I'm going to move over here to my browser. I, you have the, They have a standalone app. And okay. uh, yeah, and but I, I usually look at it through the browser. And I'm not going to go back too far because it would be embarrassing to tell you how long it's been since I actually logged into Slack to see what's going on. But let's start with the end of May. Tim W. was um, talking about doing his uh, doing okay on his instrument recurrent uh, or IR practice test. IR, is that instrument recurrent or instrument refresher? What is it? Insurance rating. rating. Rating, that's it. UK? That's it. Okay. Um, he scored a 76. Um, and then he... What, out of 1,000? Out of uh, 1 million. <laughs> out of 77. <laughs> he needs to study Obviously. a little bit more. Um, <laughs> And uh, later in the uh, in the threads that I didn't uh, see, he tells us some good news. Uh, but Gustav was uh, watching the launch of the Crew Dragon. Um, let's see, Tuba Tony uh, was talking about on the second of June. It's a parade of mad dogs between Atlanta and BYH, which is Blytheville, Arkansas, which is the place where all the '88s and '90s left in our fleet went for their last flights. And uh, Trevor Bear said, yeah, a sad day indeed. No 88s flying. Um, moving on down again, we saw uh, Tim W. say, uh, well, hang on. Nope, I'm jumping the gun here. Uh, there's some information. There's some stuff about a drone helicopter collision. Um, let's see. Mike Dell is on there. Uh, he's always a, he's a great community member. Sends us a lot of feedback. Uh, F-111. Ewo, etc. He's also what I call the podcast, my podcast guru. Um, and uh, he has a picture of, uh, of something in the B717 cockpit. And wow, you know, I have not been in one. So I don't know if this is true or not, but there it looks like some kind of a chemtrail control panel. So mm. probably should. Uh, it's the that. 717 responsible for all those. Well, well, I'm going to find out. Um, Oh, look at this. On the 16th of June from Tim W. Woot, passed my FAA instrument written. Yes, we knew you could do it. Very good. Way to go, Tim W. And, 20 questions? Uh, don't <laughs> no. think so. Probably a lot more. Okay. Quite, quite a few more. So uh, Kelly Kirk uh, says he has officially purchased his first semi-truck, or a lorry, I guess you guys would call it. 
started my business as an owner operator. I've been driving trucks for nice. 25 years now, and now I am my own boss. I'll be posting updates along the way, and hopefully we'll, this will be a great new adventure for me. And he says, I'm also planning on doing a series of short YouTube vlogs, video logs, to share my musings and how I'm doing. And uh, I think one of the last things on this um, these threads that I haven't uh, seen uh, is actually a link to his The Captain's Log, episode number one, his YouTube ver- uh, video log. And I'll put the uh, link to it in the show notes so you can watch it. And he's uh, he's podcasting from the uh, cab of his uh, big rig and uh, along with his cat, Psycho. And uh, he calls himself Captain Kirk because his last name is Kirk. And uh, he's also a pilot and he's working. Uh, he talks about uh, working on his instrument uh, rating and hopefully by uh, sometime next year, he'll be able to resume work on that. So that's really cool. And no, that's not thunder. That's my stomach again. I did eat. Your stomach I, is doing impressions of thunder now? Yes, it is. I'm, I'm not sure if you're picking <laughs> it up. It's probably now. better than my actual impression of thunder. <laughs> so we'll take that. I'm not sure why it's doing that because I did eat lunch. I don't know. Maybe I have a tapeworm. It's just digesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Definitely the tapeworm. Yeah. So anyway, I, uh, that's just some of the things that's going on. I just wanted to kind of give everybody that is not um, part of our Slack team a little idea of the kind of conversations that are going on over there on Slack. So I haven't done that before, and I thought, you know, it's time for me to do that. So It is, it is nice to catch up. Yeah. So with that, if we uh, don't have anything else to talk about, I think that we can move on to, oh, a word from... Our, our sponsors. Our sponsors. We have sponsors now. Oh, wait a minute. No, we, we well, actually, we do. It's listener supported. All of our That's producers right. are our sponsors. So let me go over here and press this button. The Coffee Fund. Listener supported. Johnny, how much more coffee? APG. Go thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. Look at that. She's holding a coffee I cup in front of my the mouth. APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. The Coffee Fund is your way, dear listener, to become part of the gang who supports us financially. And since last episode, we have several that contributed via the Classic Fund. Chris Randall, David Lieb, Mazuz Karim, Vignar Wonson, Wonson, uh, Jason Kuntz. And that's the uh, classic method for one-time or recurring donations. And we also have another way to do it. You can become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And we have a couple of new producers, Lucas James and, okay, it's M-R-H-S-P-W-R. So is that Mr. Horsepower? (laughs) I don't know. I'm not sure what, or here, let me try to pronounce it. Mershpur. I don't know what that means or what that stands for. But anyway, he is or she is a new producer of the show. So thank you very much. And we have um, a couple of new executive producers, previous producers. They have bumped up their pledges to the uh, $5 or more level to become executive producers of the show. Nick Herring and Martin Kemp are those two fine folks. So thank you very much for that. If you want to learn more about how you can become part of our Coffee Fund cadre, head over to airlinepilotguy.com. Calm. 
Captain. Incoming message. The graphic of Steph yelling at me. Feedback. Shut up, Feedback. Shut up, Jeff. Really say. Oh, <laughs> that's good. We should get a recording of Steph. Feedback. <laughs> Feedback. I that's like on it. the tape. You're recording. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll snag it. I want to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We actually, we actually needed it through a bullhorn, uh, Steph. So. Oh, yeah. Feedback. Ooh, that's no. pretty good. That's a good impression. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> yeah, you wanted a, a bullhorn, not a bullfrog. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Joking. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. We'll work it yes, out. Yes, go on. Go on. We're all listening. All right. Hey, let's, uh, speaking of good news, that's one of the reasons why we're here. The other is just so that we have an excuse to spend three hours every week talking to good friends about stuff, mostly aviation stuff. Um, but uh, this good news is from Tom Catalino up in Syracuse. Wanted to write to give you an update on my journey towards my PPL. As you may recall from our first meetup almost a year ago now, I had some difficulties getting my thir- third class medical. You and Stefan both encouraged me to persevere and I'm happy to report that just before COVID hit, I was granted a special issuance third-class medical. I'd like to thank you for that advice and encourage others who may be facing similar challenges to keep at it. So we'll do a, a brief little bit of a... Yeah, ooh, that's yeah great. great news. Well done. Yeah, okay. Good but job. Hold it. That's just a little, little, a little bit of a pause. But good, good thing he got his uh, medical all straightened out. He says, another piece of advice that I would like to pass along to others who may be in a similar boat or airplane uh, would be to reach out to your regional flight, uh, FAA flight surgeon office. I reached out to mine and was provided uh, friendly assistance that helped me get through the process. They answered all of my questions, provided me with great advice, and also helped monitor my application as it navigated the FAA medical process in Oklahoma City. After a lengthy COVID break and with my solo fast approaching, I scheduled two lessons for last week, figuring I could push through and get it done. During the first lesson, I found myself with a sizable case of fear and anxiety over the thought of the instructor getting out of the airplane. He assured me that not only was I ready, but he was indeed getting out of the airplane. Though he planned for it, it didn't happen that day, probably for the best, as I certainly didn't pass the I am safe checklist. And just to remind everybody what that is all about, the I-M-S-A-F-E is, and there I've seen several different variations on this theme, Uh, but the first I is, or the I is illness. Do I have any symptoms? M for medication. Have I been taking prescription or over-the-counter drugs? S for stress. Am I under psychological pressure from the job, worried about financial matters, health problems, or family discord? or COVID. Um, Alcohol, A, have uh, I been drinking within eight hours, within 24 hours? Is that a rule? Hope not. Um, F, fatigue. We'll we'll discuss that after the (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Am I tired and not adequately rested? And then E, this is the one I see uh, most of the variations, uh, eating. Am I adequately nourished? Uh, I've also seen elimination. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, and I've also uh, uh, seen emotional uh, outlook. Yes. What do you? Well, what do you? What is that E for you, Steph? Eating. Probably eating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I need, I need lots of calories. Yeah. Keep me going. That's true. I don't, but I consume them anyway, <laughs> just to be safe. <laughs> Who doesn't uh, So anyway, uh, so not knowing how I was going to sleep for the next two nights until my next lesson, I arranged to get myself into an airplane again with another instructor just to get my confidence back with no threat of a solo. After a not-so-great first landing, it was really two landings in one, uh, I nailed two more. Now I was ready. With a good night's sleep behind me, I got up the next morning, and while preparing to leave for my solo, found a dead bird in the backyard. Mm -mm. On the way to the airport, I passed two more dead animals. Was there a message here? No way. No I'm happy to report that I nailed the first landing with the instructor who promptly exited the airplane. And with confidence, I executed three more of my best landings ever. What a fantastic feeling. It was also kind of nice to have the entire class, Charlie, airspace, all to myself. Now it's time for the big applause. Here we go. No, no, they were the bird was already dead in his backyard. Oh, well, he he doesn't mention it. Maybe there were some other animals that he had something to do with killing. I don't know. We'll have to let us run over any cows. (laughs) Anyway, he says, I wish to thank my instructor, the instructor who took me up for the confidence flight, and the folks at the Syracuse Flying Club that provided guidance and encouragement along the way. If you're listening, you all know who you are. And I think that many of the people at the Syracuse Flying Club including Stefan, are listening to the show right now. So, Am I right in saying he's in the chat room right now? I don't know. Is Tom here with us? No. Oh, okay. All right. It's just that someone just posted thank you, guys. So it obviously doesn't refer to our applause. Yes, someone else has other good news, but it was not the same as the feedback. Oh, they've just had a baby. Baby on the have a baby on the way and engineering degree next month. I guess hey, hey, people over there in the chat room, pay attention to our show. All right. Yeah. (laughs) This is what happens, by the way. If you're listening to the audio podcast, the audio only, you should join us here. Well, maybe not. Uh, when we do this, no, live. you should. You should. And there's a there's a chat room here, and uh, sometimes they actually pay attention to what we're talking about, but most of the time not. But they have no, they're having a great time over there in that chat. Yeah, yeah, talking about all sorts of stuff. Yeah, most important, more important things that we're talking about, yeah. with the exception of Tom Solo. So again, yeah. thank you, uh, Tom, for letting us know. Uh, I was actually in the um, intro portion of the show i uh, stefan up there who is also an instructor at the syracuse flying club he's also the physics instructor at uh, syracuse university not physics instructor physics professor at syracuse university he sent me um, a message saying hey just wanted to let you know a little bird told me that somebody we know uh just soloed and uh, so before i had a chance to mention it on the show uh tom actually uh, sent in the feedback himself so that's awesome Anyway. Uh, it is great. I actually wrote to Tom and congratulated him because, quite honestly, uh, getting uh, to do your first solo and piloting an aircraft on your own is a great step on the way to what we all hope will be a fabulously long and fun flying career. So good luck with all that. Yeah. And for the most part, I would say everyone remembers their first solo. I was going to say, Except you know, I don't think I've ever soloed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that nobody ever wanted to. You always had someone holding your hand. I've always, yeah. They say, you know, (laughs) we're going to go ahead and just say that you soloed, but we're going to be in the airplane just in case. (laughs) 
So Tom is in the chat. Ah, oh, so he is. Thing. He was just yes. being quiet. Oh, look at that. Thomas yeah, hi, Thomas. All right. Excellent. Well done, sir. Congrats. Oh, all right. Well, look forward to uh, seeing you again when I'm up that way. I believe the uh, Boeing 717 uh, still flies up there toward uh, Syracuse area. So I look forward to seeing you and celebrating with you, Tom. All right. Um, second item in our feedback notebook. Ah, is, this is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Me. Can't wait for this. Oh, this it's is a good, be good one. Dave B. He says, uh, hello, Captain Jeff and the entire APG crew. First-time caller, three-year APG flight follower. I hope this message finds everyone well. I just came across this little nugget of pure gold. And he wasn't the only one that said this as well. Uh, we just chose Dave. And wanted to share it, as I'm sure it'll dumbfound you all as much as it did me. I have to say, I concur with the thoughts of the voice that chimed in the anonymous the, the anonymous caller yeah and you'll you'll hear that right now some at some point in this and now let me set this up a little bit uh the way it was presented on bass aviation on the on the video um they put what i'm going to play first kind of in the middle of it all uh, but i'm going to start off uh, because chronologically speaking this occurred the very first couple of exchanges on the audio tape uh about seven minutes prior to the part of the tape that is a little interesting and um also i'll mention the uh the radio frequency or at least the scanner that was recording the audio wasn't very good so it's kind of scratchy so uh the subject aircraft um let's see november 731 something or other um well you'll hear it here in a minute um checks in with um Las Vegas approach, I believe. So let me see here. Let me uh, start this right here. Vegas approach, Mystery, November Romeo. November Romeo, Las Vegas approach, Las Vegas altimeter 2988. Information Mike Stern and Anderson, Melania 35. Okay. So he, he checks in with Las Vegas Approach, November, uh, uh, November Romeo, 1 November Romeo, I believe. Yeah, 1 November Romeo. Centurion. And uh, so he wants to land at an airport that is apparently in the Class B airspace. And it is underneath the Class B. Underneath the Class B. Okay. And so uh, Las Vegas Approach responds with um, Henderson is landing this runway and the altimeter is this. I don't understand that at all. I tried my best to figure out exactly what was said there. I it was, oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I got it. I appreciate that stuff. <laughs> okay. Now, fast forward seven minutes later, approximately. Shadow 285, McCarran Airport is 11 o'clock and 21 miles. Inside Shadow 285. Shadow 285, clear to the visual approach, runway 26 left. Clear to visual, 26 left, Pablo 285. And one of them, Romeo, I need you outside of the Bravo. Negative. A negative what? I'm inside. You were not given a clearance through the Bravo. One of them, Romeo, exit the Bravo immediately. I've been talking to you the whole time. That's the whole point of talking to you. You have to have a Bravo clearance. You have to request a Bravo clearance. The Bravo clearance about 50 miles ago. Nobody clears you through the Bravo but me. Then clear me through. No. Yes. You're a <laughs> <laughs> 
That is not appropriate language. Souther 779 McCarran Airport is 11 o'clock and 23 miles. Yes, right. Souther 779. Souther 779 cleared for the visual approach runway 26 left. The visual 26 left, Souther 779. Southwest 285, 170 or greater, still five mile final. 170 or greater, to five miles, Southwest 285. And one Delta Alpha, contact LA Center on 134.65. Have a good day. 134.65, thanks for everything. One Delta Alpha. I'll say school strike 551, 3000 information, pop up for North Sound inside. Go pick 55, Las Vegas approach, expect a visual approach, runway 12 right, Las Vegas altimeter is 2987. 987, we'll expect a gold strike 55. Southwest 285, contact Tower 1990. Have a great day. Over Tower, good luck. Southwest 2785. From 1 November, Romeo, possible pilot deviation advised you contact Las Vegas possible. approach at, I'll give you the number when you're ready to copy. Not ready to copy, I'm flying. Southwest 779, contact tower, 199, have a great day. 99, you too, thanks. 739. Number 855, copy, you're outside Las Vegas, Bravo, airspace, contact LA Center on 134.65, have a great day. 134.65, 555, Papa. Gold strike five five, fly heading zero one zero, descending maintain one zero thousand vectors for the visual approach. Zero one zero down to one zero thousand, gold strike five five. And one November Romeo, Henderson Tower. Henderson Tower, one November Romeo. Seven two five two four. He's, he's copying down a phone number with Henderson. Number one November Romeo rudder. And contact ground one two seven point eight. And uh, again, I don't know what happened, but uh, from what you say, sorry for the service. Thank you. Sorry Colin for the Grant. service. <laughs> what does he got to apologize for? Well, I mean, he only heard that pilot's side of the story. But yeah. even the way the inflection in, in his voice at the very end of it is like, sorry for the service. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think he knew he was, uh, you know, it's he was kind just, of, trying, yeah, to, kind of he was just trying to get the guy on the grid like, I've had enough of this too. I'm sure that this guy was warned by Las Vegas Approach Control what had happened. And wow. How does he think he can just just by requesting a clearance, uh, assume he's got it uh, without being given one? And so so the way it it works for Bravo airspace is that you have to be given, if you're not on an, an IFR flight plan, you have to be given a specific clearance into the Bravo that you have to hear the words cleared into the Bravo. Um, it works differently with class C and D airspace, Charlie and Delta. There you just have to establish two-way communication um, unless you're told something different. But in the Bravo, you must hear you are cleared into the Bravo. So, I, it, you know, it, it happens where people either think they get their Bravo clearance and they don't. Um, yeah. It almost sounds now, maybe some of the radio transmissions we we haven't heard. Um, so I'm not sure we've heard everything. Uh, but the, the you mean he's worse than that? Yeah, it's, it's possible. <laughs> um, trying to try to understand exactly why he had the impression. That so, but 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 it doesn't matter view, because but, anyone, any reasonable person who's told stay outside the Bravo, if you even if you thought you had a clearance, you go, oh, okay, 
yeah. turn around, descend, whatever it is you have to do to get out of that Bravo airspace. And I'm sure that that's what she said to him, except that we don't have that, that part of it. Yeah. clip of her saying that. So <laughs> as I said, you know, there were, there was a seven minute period there that I don't know what happened, uh, you know, what the, what the exchange was, but it, you can't make the assumption that just because somebody is talking to you means that, that, you that clearance. you have not clearance. for Bravo. Yeah. I've, I've heard from people say that, you know, you, when, when you hear that you have received the clearance into the Bravo, you should repeat that yes. on the radio so that, you know, you have some evidence that it was indeed mm-hmm. clear. Yeah. Yep. Wow. But his, just the attitude. It, it's the whole way he acted from that point on. Yeah. I mean, normal, responsible people don't act like that. No. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's well, like, clear me. <laughs> Then clear me. No. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. yes. No. <laughs> what and the hell? Heck, if you're getting a phone number to copy, you better copy it down as soon as they freaking give it to you. You know? <laughs> nope. I'm, I'm, flying. I'm flying. Unable. Nope. I can't, nope. can't, can't do that right now. I'm, I'm flying. flying. <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all. Now, so Henderson uh, is a class D airport underneath the class Bravo, but there's only like a thousand foot. Uh, well, no, you could, I mean, the direction he's coming in from, he's going through a, a Bravo shelf that extends to the ground. So he couldn't go underneath it there, I think, from what I remember. So from he had the, to fly through the Bravo to get to. Well, from, from where he was coming from. Yeah, he was uh, coming in from the north, I think. Yeah, you could go other, you know, you could stay outside of that particular okay. shelf and go around and get in. Um, or just make sure that you've got your clearance first if you really need to go that way for some direction and don't enter the Bravo until you have it. Yeah. Wow. That's one of those you don't hear very often. No, he's going to be eating humble pie or he won't be doing a lot of flying in the future. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be doing a lot of flying in the near future anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Even if he changed his tune suddenly. Uh, You can't say all that stuff on on record. FAA, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, so yeah you know i think everyone's a little you know it's like dave said everyone's a little dumbfounded at this like no one would ever expect to act like this or hear someone act like this it's, it's really strange i'm sure the controller was thinking what are you yeah, kidding like, me I, huh yeah no. i told you to stay outside the bravo no <laughs> i'm in the bravo i know <laughs> negative <laughs> negative what does that mean <laughs> negative <laughs> negative <laughs> Oh man! Well, it's was... been more impressive. He said unable because then he'd be like, "Oh, okay. Well, do you have an? You know, right? Then at least you could figure out why." He used the wrong Just word. Negative. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Dave B goes on to say, "Disclaimer: This part is just some background on me, so I can introduce myself." If you have anything important to do, like cleaning the bathroom for Hillel, just stop. <laughs> Come back, Jeff. You missed a spot. Okay. I'll, I'll be there. I got a show right now, though. Gosh. Anyway. He's I've picky been, nowadays, he, isn't he? He really is getting uh, almost like demanding. that guy. A little demanding. Um, almost like, like the, the class Romeo, the Centurion. Bravo guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. I've been flying part 135 and light twins for a little less than four years now. Made the jump to the 121 side with Acme Jr. in early 2020. And I got sidelined on day one of our March class because of the crud sweeping the world. I was extremely fortunate to be taken back at the 135 operation. 
The great thing about the 135 gig is I get the opportunity to bring my nine-year-old when space is available and share the love of this amazing thing we get to do. He's so passionate about aviation. I'm sure he'll be my chief pilot sometime down the road. I got to meet you and the crew at Oshkosh last year. Yeah, I remember. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so cool. I dragged my friends over to your bus and got them infected with the syndrome. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And yes, they're still my friends uh, with me, even after all all the itching. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. (laughs) This podcast and community is such a blessing to the aviation world, and I truly enjoy listening. Thank you for all you do. Sincerely, Dave B. from Northern Michigan. Uh, you have uh, something else going on in the background there? Uh, uh, Just uh, a lot of rain. Oh, yeah, I hear it. Yeah, that. that. Got it. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, did you, I sent you the uh, radar. It looks impressive. Oh, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, no, just a minute ago because I was pulling it up to, I was pulling it up to look at um, Las Vegas and Henderson just to remind myself oh, okay. of the airspace and it popped up with my location first and I went, ooh. Oh, looks, yeah, lots of colors. Yeah. Lots pretty of lots of red and yellow and lightning bolts mm-hmm. yep well good luck <laughs> thanks if um if i disappear um we'll know why in a cloud of smoke <laughs> yeah, uh probably just the power went out that's all oh okay but actually that doesn't happen very often here because all the power lines are underground so oh that's good yeah just don't step on one of those could be a shock very shocking mm-hmm. yes all right well dave Thank you for introducing yourself, and so cool to hear about uh, your nine-year-old and his love of aviation, and uh, great seeing you at Oshkosh, and hopefully one of these years we'll see you again. All right. I'm moving on to item three. Darren, uh, hello, guys. Wanted to say that the Ian Palmer story that Nick did, the, what was it, four-part series? Uh, yeah. um, was extremely powerful and emotional for me to listen to as I have struggled with addiction for most of my adult life. So powerful, in fact, that I have tears in my eyes while writing this. The timing was really amazing because I went to rehab back in February after losing almost everything in my life. And as I listened to this, I realized that it was my 100th day free of drugs and alcohol. Listening to Ian's story was incredibly inspiring and filled me with a sense of hope that I can do this and stay on the right path. I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for allowing Ian to tell his story. These kind of things have profoundly positive effects on people who are struggling with issues like this. Darren. Isn't that great? Uh, I love hearing, um, you know, the fact that we're having a real impact on people. And uh, I have to say, when I realized that Ian was willing to tell his story, I was truly impressed because uh you know it can't be a difficult thing to do and to relive uh particularly considering what he does for a living so you know i i was very impressed and you don't have to thank us just thank ian because he was uh the man that was willing to put his story out there for us all to learn from um and i'm so glad it's uh, it's helped bolster your confidence and your um, you know, strength of character a little, Darren, so that you can uh, stay on that steady path uh, of improvement. So good luck uh, to you, and thanks very much indeed. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think it's just Darren. I think there's a lot of people, and, we, and thank you to Darren for being able to write in and, and 
share that as well because that takes some doing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know personally there have been some some other people who have been positively uh, affected by hearing Ian's story. So yeah, all our thanks to Ian. Yeah, Ian is the man. So and thank you, Darren, for for writing in and letting us know that yeah you know, we do. Um, have an impact on, yeah. on people. And, and congratulations, 100 days. That's that's a good start. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Look Keep forward to hearing more from you, Darren. All right. Um, moving on to uh, item four, Captain Joe. He says, Dear APG Pilots, my name is Captain Joe, and I live in the beautiful city of Berlin. I've just been listening to the last episodes of your wonderful show. Thanks for, which one was that? Do, uh, I don't know if he was, was yet. <laughs> wow, I can oh, I can definitely whoa. hear the thunder now. I'm not; those are not my sound effects. <laughs> that was very close. That was very close. Um, what was what were we saying just now? I was saying I something about. He says he he enjoyed listening to the uh, last episode. Oh yeah, which which show was it? That was wonderful. Which, there was, was there was wonderful. one. <laughs> I think so. It, I think it was about a year and a half ago. <laughs> um, maybe in like. February. Oh, I remember it was before Nick was on the show, I think. That was definitely. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Been nothing but downhill since then. <laughs> anyway, thanks for all the time you spend producing it. Your stories about your fl- last flights on the MD 88 and your possible future with Acme Airlines made me reminisce about my own pilot career. So, some words about myself. Actually, I fly the A320 for the low cost subsidiary of a major European airline. After being a pilot for the same airline group for more than 20 years, my place in that mainline seniority list is pretty much in the middle, with around 3,000 pilots in front of me and also 3,000 colleagues behind me. Although that might sound like a pretty safe place in the food chain, I wasn't assigned any trip since March 10th, and I'm actually confronted with a possible, at least temporary, layoff. Two things I will likely lose are my home base and my position as a captain. My career began as a first officer on the CRJ, flying regional services for the same company. I continued flying A320s, including A319s and A321s, as a hub feeder for the main line and for its leisure subsidiary. After a couple of years, my career as a wide-body first officer began. Oh, yeah, you start eating a lot and then you become, oh, no, no, wait, uh, wide-body, like Like Nick used to. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I started eating a lot, too. Because, um... I'm becoming a wide-body captain, and it has nothing to do with the airplane. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I started on the A340-300 and the A340-600, earned a type rating for the A330, and flew the brand-new A380 for another three years before I became a captain on the A320. Lots of A's in there. When I listened to Captain Dana and his thoughts about flying something else than the Mad Dog, he seems to be at least quite skeptical about it. Personally, with a total of more than 12,000 hours in my logbook, which might not sound like a lot to Captain Jeff and Captain Nick, that's a good amount of hours in your logbook for sure, I came to a simple conclusion. Every new type rating I've acquired, every different kind of operation I've experienced, and every seat change I've performed was one of the most valuable experiences in my pilot career. So don't be afraid to see something else. Be excited. Nevertheless, Captain Dana said he definitely does not want to commute. I couldn't agree more on that one. Good luck to all of you. I hope all of you will either enjoy the benefits of a retirement or spend many hours in the roomy and silent cockpit of a wonderful... He put Airbus and then scratched through it. <laughs> he re- it was redacted. <laughs> Aircraft. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Greetings, Captain Joe. Uh, P.S. As a compensation for my English language skills, I've just invited you for some beer via the coffee fund. Cheers. Well, thank you. Cheers. I still have a little bit of a... Uh, of my emotional support. Definitely, you, uh, cheers. Remaining. Although your English cheers. language skills are probably are better perfect. than a lot of the English. Yeah, you don't have anything to worry about with your English language. <laughs> At least your written skills, Captain Joe, is perfectly fine. Absolutely and I have, to, I have to tell you, as so many times, native English speakers send us feedback, and I go through, and I, I just can't help myself. I end up you correcting it. all the errors and everything, and then, all the grammatical issues. Yeah, yeah, this is perfect. All the, the wrong yeah. there, 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 to, to your, perfect. yours punctuation yeah. everything mm -hmm. now don't let that intimidate you dear dear listener that's okay we can figure it out usually <laughs> well, uh, sorry, career, jeff, jeff corrects all of our grammar it's so it's, it's yes a, he does uh, he's I, very I, consistent I, it's I, my I, wife's I, fault she, she made me this way <laughs> i get continually reminded about the spelling of loose and loose and loose mm -hmm. yeah. he still hasn't figured it out no uh, it's, it's wrong every time but in it's fact part of i've charm. decided now that i'm deliberately going to do it wrong i figured time. that was the case <laughs> <laughs> so i just ignore it completely <laughs> but uh, the crj to the 380s is a fabulous uh, career isn't it yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. lots brilliant. of lots of different things in between right? absolutely in and 20. i have to agree they are ruby and quiet so the most lovely flight deck. I tell you what, uh, I agree with that as well. Uh, I've ridden jump seat many times on not any of the wide bodies, but on the narrow body uh, Airbuses, and everyone has been very, very comfortable. So, cheers to that. Absolutely. Cheers. Proper right. job. Cheers. Soda. I, I guess I have to take a sip when I do that, don't I? Otherwise, there might be some dead animals in my backyard. In bed. All right. Continuing <laughs> on to. Uh, I don't know. Let's just move past that, Godfather. Nick. I, oh, but, yeah. Wasn't there the a horse. dead animal? And, his yeah. horse. There was a horse's head in his bed. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. I, I, I was going somewhere with that. Anyway, right. I don't know where that connection came from. Has, but, um, well, there's no connection whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> just keep <laughs> in mind that all of his thoughts be, are completely disconnected. Just trying to be entertaining here. Okay. Okay. Sorry. We're ruining people it. people happy. Yeah. <laughs> squashing it. Yes, you are. No fun for you. <laughs> All right. Um, item five. Mike says, weird news. Old story, but strange. Because it's a link to an article. Um, oh, this is Mike Dell. We were talking about him earlier. Uh, this is Michigan's no-fault insurance at work, I guess. And uh, he gives us a link to his website, mikedell.com. Mike Dell's World Blog Podcast from Northern Michigan. He's up there in the Traverse City area. And he also is a proponent of saving and rescuing beagles. Gotbeagles.org. Um, let's see. Truck insurance uh, in order to pay for plane damage under Michigan no-fault law. Two courts in Michigan have ruled that the insurer of a truck must pay $18,000 for damage caused to a small airplane that crashed after clipping the truck as the pilot tried to land in a grassy airfield. The truck was being lawfully driven on a road when the uh, two-seat Cessna flipped over it and went nose-first into the ground, stopping upside down in the field. Truck driver Kevin Gould of Sand Lake said he was hauling broken concrete when he spotted the aircraft diving toward him and thought, I'm done. But Gould, now 26, was not hurt in the May 2003 accident that, well, he's now 26. and Oh, he was the pilot? Okay, I'm not sure. I should read through. Mm, truck driver. 
No, the truck driver. Oh, that's Kevin the truck Gold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 2003. And this is uh, 20. Oh, I remember. Actually. Well, I remember as company. I think I, there, was, there was a truck like driving across and. Or was that a car? I no, I'm just like trying to do the math here. Similar. If he's 26 now, and it was a 2003 accident, that's 17 years ago. He was nine years old and driving a truck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got you guys have strange laws under there, don't you? <laughs> no, it is Michigan. Yeah, you know, but I don't. I... Something's wrong here. Maybe I'm doing my math wrong, but am I? 17 2003 to 2020 is 17 I think the back in back in that year he was 26 oh. so now he'd be 17 years old oh, so there's just poor writing is what this is 40 something or other 43 okay. 44 then maybe then 26 then, yeah, i think that, maybe that makes a lot more sense the editor but, did not uh, do i think liz sussed it okay thank you liz wow that's through. I'm thinking, what? He's only 26 years old now, and it happened in 2003. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, um, there's a, a little bit of a grammar um, or uh, whatever OCD. Um, <laughs> it happened outside of Cedar Springs. Jackson pilot Richard Dedraw, now 64, and really, who knows exactly how old he is now? <laughs> and his past. I mean, he, either he's 80 something. Yeah, he's actually 64 really, or uh, maybe he's yeah. about 15. I don't know. Uh, yeah. And his wife, Carol, they like to marry early. Also escaped injury. Dean Wall, founder of Dean's Landscaping in Sand Lake and the truck's owner, said he got a letter from the DeGraws a few weeks after the crash. It said a claim was being made against his insurance company seeking payment for the damage to the plane, which is obviously the truck driver's fault, uh, which was built in 1974 and totaled in the crash. I think it's absolutely absurd and asinine, Wall told the Grand Rapids Press for a story published Monday. It's unbelievable. His insurer, Cincinnati Insurance, ended up being sued for the plane damage in Rockford District Court. Yeah, so this is this is crazy. You're right, Mike. I mean, what does the truck, what kind of liability? The truck was driving lawfully on a road? Yeah. Well, he shouldn't have been. Well, not right yeah. there, obviously, because uh, the aircraft obviously. is going to be there. Yeah, yeah. he should have known that. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've seen roads where there are traffic signals that make you stop when there's an aircraft in finals if there's a possible mm -hmm. confliction. But if that wasn't the case, and it's the aircraft's job to get out of his way, I don't understand. How, uh, yeah. Oh, you know what? I think occasionally I do. <laughs> um, I just looked at the, so, you know, Mike says it was an old article uh, or an old news story. And then I looked at the link and I believe this probably happened in 2005. This article was written in 2005. So that means that Gould was 24 at the time, the truck driver. So that makes, I, I'm feeling that makes okay. 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 Whew. We figured out our math here, math problems. And Mike Dell has been sitting on this story for, um, 15 years. 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, come on, man. Get with the times, all right? I mean, next week we might get one that's like from 14 years ago. So we were getting... <laughs> this, is what, this is what Mike likes to do, though. He likes to go and read old news articles from back in 2005. <laughs> He's not very busy. <laughs> Just kidding, Mike. All right. Thank you for uh, setting that in. That is weird. Um, Lance writes... 
listening to the last episode about the Chinese crew that had the window event occur uh, that resulted in the co-pilot almost getting sucked out. Side note, I'm not one to pick sides in the Boeing versus Air, uh, Airbus debate. I love the 757 and 747, but I also love the A340 and think the A350 might be the best-looking airliner ever made. Should Airbus reconsider the whole side stick thing? Hear me out. What would have happened if debris strikes the captain in his left arm that renders it useless? The co-pilot is passed out, the autopilot controls have been destroyed, and now the captain has no way to reach the side stick. On the same situation, if the control column is centered, he can still take control with his right arm. Along the same line of thinking, he would be able to reach for a mask with his left hand if the control column is centered. I realize they probably don't plan for this type of freak event to happen, but it was very close to playing out in this situation. Just a thought. Hope you guys and gals are enjoying the sun shining, beer drinking, lake cruising, COVID dodging summer. Cheers, Lance. So what do you think, Nick? Do you, do you think he has a point? Well, I think you can probably imagine almost any scenario where if you disable a pilot, he may not be able to reach some controls. But I did answer him uh, and reminded him of BA flight 5390, um, the BAC-111. This is many years ago, uh, where the window in front of the captain, the windshield, had been refitted with uh, the wrong diameter head screws. Um, so they were too short or the wrong diameter, and uh, the, it blew out uh, uh, in flight, and uh, the captain was sucked out of his seat uh, out Ooh, through the hole. Good, that would make a good plane tail. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds familiar. And as he got pulled out, of course, he uh, he he. Uh, Force the control column, the yoke in front of him, fully forward, uh, and the first officer could could barely stop the aircraft from crashing from the subsequent dive. So I was saying to him, "Well, it doesn't really matter what configuration the controls are. It depends, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, anything could be the wrong one, or some things could be the right one. Uh, if that had been a seismic aircraft, that wouldn't have happened. So, you know." That's one of those things, and one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why most of us, or if not all of us here on the show, say uh, it's not a good idea to take humans out of the cockpit because you cannot ever come up with every possible scenario that might happen in an airplane. And it's always best to have a, a human um, somewhere on the on the airplane to use the human brain to kind of come up with a a solution to the um, the situation. And it doesn't always work out that way, but uh, there have been many instances when we have been able to work a solution uh, that was never, you know, never, uh, what's the word, um, anticipated. That's not the one I was looking for, but that'll work. Um, so Imagined or whatever, yeah. Imagined, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in this case, yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if if they had a yoke, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. But on as just Captain Nick just mentioned, well, it didn't make any difference in the the BA C one eleven BA incident, flight fifty three ninety. So, which uh, actually that plane tail, if you're interested in uh, listening to that story, uh, is called "I Think He Is Dead." Uh, and you can find it, of course, on the plane tail page on the website. But it appeared on APG. 
248. So some time ago now. All right. And, oh, uh, and by the way, I was just, sorry, Jeff, I was just going to mention that uh, when we consider emergencies on an airliner, we don't usually consider compound emergencies. You know, you've got a likelihood of a certain emergency happening. Uh, the fact that if you continue build up uh, on emergency, so well, you lose a hydraulic failure and then you lose this electric system and then you lose this engine, three emergencies all combined to give this effect. Uh, the airline industry has such a good safety record when it comes to individual components that we don't usually consider the effects of multiple upon multiple emergencies on uh, the safety of the aircraft because there's only a certain level of safety you can go to and then it becomes ridiculous you just can't build a machine uh, that meets safety requirements for multiple emergencies all happening simultaneously and all the potential to bring an aircraft down so if you're saying well yes uh, you could have an incapacitated first officer and the captain could have an injured arm and the flight the uh, autopilot controls are all out, that it would be considered a multiple emergency event and no aircraft is designed to be able to withstand that kind of situation. If, if you can withstand, if you can successfully cope, uh, brilliant. But, uh, it, you know, you're not going to be able to design an aircraft that is so safe that it can usually cope with all those emergencies at the same time. That is true. Well, that's true. <laughs> we will have a link to that wonderful plane tale in the show notes oh so, thank you yeah that was a very very good one one of my favorites yeah very compelling all right thank you lance for your feedback let's go on with seven texas and Lashock. Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Miami Rick's comment about the flying 747 aircraft carrier reminded me of a video from Channel Mustard, which I've referenced before, about that very subject. And the video is the Air Force's crazy 747 aircraft carrier concept. As And we'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to watch it. As for the Laser 747, that was the YAL-1 a 747-400F freighter modified with a laser emitter in the nose. It was eventually decommissioned in 2011 and then scrapped three years later. What Captain Nick was probably thinking of with the laser turret on the back was most likely the NKC-135 Aerial Laser Lab, which was operational from 1975 through 1984. So they've been playing with the idea on and off again for, for years now. Speaking of Captain Nick... I heard your stories on Betty's podcast. It's Betty in the sky with a suitcase. Mm-hmm. It was funny. And when she introduced you, she called you Nick. And what, and I was thinking, Nick? Who's Nick? And when she said the airline pilot guy show, I went, oh, Captain Nick. <laughs> yes. Betty's very informal. <laughs> yes. Not much for uh, titles. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, she's a flight attendant. What do you expect? Yeah, she no respect there at all. Yeah. Yeah. You, get, you get no respect. No, never. All right. Uh, wishing you all clear skies and smooth landings. This is Texas and Lashock signing off. Thank you. I'd love to have one of those lasers in my airliner. <laughs> <laughs>
because it'd be great, wouldn't it? You get some big old 747 in your way, you could just point the lasers at them and go, boom. That's it. my way. Yeah. Not my problem. Coming through. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that Las Vegas air traffic controller wishes she had a laser. Yeah. Get out of the Bravo. You. (laughs) Terminated. That's it. Okay. I did not prepare this one. Luke sent us a YouTube video link. Uh, time for a laugh. Do you, does anybody remember what this is about? I never. Uh, no, it's just a YouTube link, and I don't remember what he. Well, mm. I'll pull it up real quick here. Oh yeah. It's, oh yeah, uh... it's uh, Captain Roger Victor. Yeah. It's... Oh, and what's this one what's about? A, what's a Learjet? Or a Learjet? What's a Learjet? Oh yeah, yeah. Captain Roger Victor, uh, the puppet, yes. um, gets a little tour of a Learjet thirty-five. I remember seeing it now. Thank you for that. Um, so we'll put that in the show notes for you to check out if you already don't subscribe to his YouTube channel. Thank you, Luke. Texas Charlie, again, a little bit more uh, fun. He says, to the crew, thanks for the hours of fun and information. Here's a little something for the fun category. And we could all use that, right? This, oh, uh, yeah. Voice. Yeah. Especially this whole year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's just forget about this year, right? Um regulations for flight engineers and uh it's a it's a picture uh from i don't know if it's a newspaper or something but uh so i'm going to try to read what i can here the flight engineer will kindly observe the following rules now for those of you listening who are maybe under the age of i don't know 40 35 we used to have these things called flight engineers what yeah <laughs> flying flight in- engineers yeah and they're, they're not it has nothing to do with the train stuff it's if they're on airplanes oh yeah now yeah. you guys don't call them in, uh, engineers do you yeah I mean, we call them call that's them what them i was mechanics. no no uh, but, whereas i would call an, an engineer as a anyone who uh, fixes airplanes you oh, call oh, them mechanics yeah yeah. Yeah. What you call an engineer is what we call a mechanic. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, but our, a flight engineer is the person that uh, sits sideways usually. And um, that's that was for me the uh, the starting position uh, at Acme Airlines 31 and a half years ago. And uh, for many, a few years, several years before me as well. It's got to be a, that's what she says in there somewhere. I'm, I'm sure there are just sitting sideways. sideways. Okay, there we go. <laughs> sitting sideways. That's what she said. Oh, that's true. Okay. <laughs> um, Listen, <laughs> sitting side saddle. Yeah, side saddle. Where did it go? Another another term that that we've used. Anyway, uh, the flight engineer will kindly observe the following rules. It will be a hell of a easier. A lot easier, I guess, for the rest of the crew. Regulators, regulations, thank you, are listed in their order of priority. Uh, Number one, keep the navigator awake. I guess I need to tell everybody what a navigator is. What's a navigator? (laughs) (laughs) That's the the thing that's got like the magenta line on the screen? That's that's a present day navigator. Oh, okay. Used to be humans that would tell the pilots which way to turn. Like they had to look at the stars in the sky? (laughs) They were... Directional consultants. I see. Yes. Consultant is uh, yeah, very generous. Um, <laughs> well, the pilots used to consult them. <laughs> Insult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, I never, I actually have never flown with a, um, a navigator. Now, the 
the C-141 Starlifter that I was flying in the Air Force did have a navigator position, but that was only when they were performing um, at, the, at the time that I was flying at airdrop um, kind of uh, missions where people were jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. Uh, but all the missions that I, w- I was uh, performing at the time were air land, so we didn't have a reason because we had inertial reference units that replaced the uh, navigator for those missions. Anywho, uh, so number one, if you have a navigator, keep him awake. Keep him or her awake, I should say. Uh, don't get smart with the crew. Remember, your pilot is still learning to fly, and he is more scared than you are. <laughs> wake, wake up the navigator. Number three, oh, I guess it's very important in this that um, the navigator stays awake. Uh, number four, don't ask embarrassing questions of the crew, such as A, where are we? B, where are we going? C, what time will we land? D, what type of Soviet fighter is that outside my window? <laughs> <laughs> Very embarrassing. <laughs> Don't ask those questions. Yeah, I see the screen behind me. I'm trying to do this without multitasking, but I cannot do it. So here, let me uh, Pause. put something there. Dun, 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 dun. There we go. Oh, nice one. That'll work. <laughs> Thanks for noticing, big guy. Uh, let's see. Five, tell jokes, but don't interrupt the radio programs. <laughs> um, make coffee and give a cup to the navigator to help him his eyes open. Does the navigator have narcolepsy? Apparently the navigator. The narcoleptic navigator. Navigators are pretty much always. Well, they're being, they're being so overutilized. That- Apparently. Um, speaking of, uh, there's a, a thing called a sextant uh, that you may have read about in history books. Uh, they actually used to use them in airplanes too. There was a an opening usually at the uh, in somewhere on the roof of the, uh, which makes sense because that's where the stars would be. That's what you'd be shooting the sextant at. Um, and uh, let's see, um, don't use the relief tube. Use the sextant opening. Oh, okay, that's not which a good idea. Sounds like a difficult task, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd have to kind of do some. I mean, some. Gymnastics? Gymnastics? Yeah. <laughs> well, either that or a very strong bladder. <laughs> Powerful <laughs> stream. Power, yes. Wow. yes. Uh, very impressive. A lot of, a lot of <laughs> yeah. uh, Valsalva pressure. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, <laughs> the next one. You just woke up the navigator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, don't ask for the comic book from the um, Reverend Sir in the front seat. <laughs> Until he has finished it, where are your manners? Uh, the next one, if the left engine falls off, discuss it quietly with a navigator before telling the pilot. You might scare him. <laughs> um, take notes of anything you see. It will help your case before the board. <laughs> oh, wow. And the next, guess what? Check the navigator. See you uh, sleep again. Yes, bra- brace yourself for every landing. You could get airsick. After the first bounce, (laughs) (laughs) when leaving the aircraft, bow to the east in Thanksgiving. And then finally, go back and wake up the navigator. Uh, That's funny. Poor navigator. Poor navigator. Wow. uh, Jim is is going to like this one a lot. Is is Jim and and then Mike Dell and uh, (laughs) several other people are going to take offense to this. But they're probably saying to themselves, we're used to it. You can send your uh, 
pleasure or displeasure uh, regarding this feedback to who wrote this? Tom Boyle? Um, well, Texas yeah, Charlie. Is the old, Texas Charlie sounded Yeah. Texas yes, Charlie. but uh, Texas Charlie. And um, you could just send it to I'm offended at Airline Pilot Guy. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, if if it bounces back, don't, don't be surprised it's meant to do that. <laughs> no, I'm sure it works, Nick. Come on. It, it really, no, it really does work. <laughs> uh, somebody test that. I don't know. Anyway. Well, you know what time it is? It's time for the best part of the show. And mm-hmm. of course, that means it's the plain tale time. And this week's installment is entitled Life's Too Short. Ain't that true? The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. Life's Too Short. It's the 3rd of January 1961, and a Douglas DC-3 of the company Aero was departing late, but not by much. By 7.16, the early morning flight was taking off from Kronobi Airport in Finland for the short hop to Vasa, a mere 30 minutes away. On board, the Finnish aircraft were 22 passengers and three crew members. Shortly after takeoff, the first officer made the request to air traffic control that they be given free flying altitude, allowing them to choose their own cruising height above the minimum of 1,500 feet for the route. This request was granted. Their route lay southwards along the northwest coast of Finland where the land meets the beautiful bay of Bothnia with a series of tiny islands and rocky inlets. As they approached their destination, they would fly over the Kavakan archipelago, shaped by millennia of glaciation, leaving beautiful hilly scenery with high islands, steep shores, smooth cliffs and deep inlets, now a World Heritage Site. The last radio transmission heard from Flight 311 occurred when they confirmed the weather report for Vasa Airport, which showed that the airfield had a visibility of 10 kilometers and overcast cloud at 800 feet. There are also reports of radiation fog in the area. They advised that they would soon be at the SEPA NDB beacon, about 25 miles from the airport. Despite being required to maintain a minimum height of 1500 feet, the captain decided to descend his aircraft early to a height of less than 330 feet. Both the captain and his first officer were veteran pilots of the Second World War, with the captain being a fighter ace, having shot down six enemy aircraft. About 7.45am, Constable Nils Malmberg was notified by telephone that the plane had crashed and was on fire. The intense burning of the aircraft prevented anyone from taking rescue action until eventually the fire was extinguished. By then it was too late to render assistance to any possible survivors and all 25 occupants were declared dead. An intensive investigation was conducted and from the witness statements of over 50 people who observed or heard the aircraft, the flight was re-enacted several times until a close approximation of the Alpha Yankee 311's final manoeuvres was conducted. It appeared that the route was flown below the minimum altitude specified and that the wrong flight altitude was reported by radio. 
The reason for flying low may initially have been caused by low cloud, as some had been reported at 1,300 feet, and that there may have been slight ice formation when flying in the cloud. On the other hand, the investigators could find no objective reason for continuing the flight at an even lower level, which was also demonstrated by the fact that the plane was reported at the wrong flight altitude. It was therefore clear that, during the flight in question, there was an intentional and unjustified breach of the rules by flying at too low an altitude. The final manoeuvre that led to the crash of Flight 311 was a hard left turn flown at below 150 feet. In the turn, the aircraft slowed sufficiently for the wings to stall, and despite trying to correct the situation by applying full engine power, this was insufficient to prevent the aircraft from entering a spin and hitting the ground in an extreme attitude. The aircraft was completely destroyed by the impact and the subsequent fire. The official inquiry concluded that the aircraft had been airworthy and that the probable cause of the accident was pilot error. However, there was a contributory cause that we can look at in a moment. JAL 8054 was a cargo flight that took to the air 16 years after that of Aero 311. A large four-engine jet, the DC-8 was carrying a load of live cattle to Tokyo, from Grant County Airport in the state of Washington via Anchorage. Waiting at Anchorage Airport was a fresh flight crew who were going to take the aircraft on the second leg of its long journey. The captain was American and his first officer and flight engineer were Japanese, but this was an unusual situation at the time since JAL was expanding rapidly and didn't have enough experienced pilots to captain all its aircraft. The crew of three with the two animal handlers took over the aircraft for an early morning departure and just over an hour later they took off for the flight to Japan. However, some ice had been noticed around the engine inlets by the contract maintenance crew advised the JAL engineers that the crew should try to get rid of it using engine anti-ice. Conditions at Anchorage were also likely to cause significant rime ice and possibly some clear ice, but no de-icing was requested. The captain made several mistakes during the pre-flight period and taxi out, but his greatest error was during takeoff, when he rotated the aircraft higher than the normal target angle, which resulted in slower than normal acceleration to the V2 speed. This was accompanied by the sound of buffeting, and with no attempt made to lower the nose, the aircraft began to stall. The DC-8 only reached an altitude of 160 feet before the steep attitude of 18 degrees and the climb reversed into a descent. A second before impact, the stall warning activated and it was likely that it had previously been inhibited due to ice present on the wings where the sensor was mounted. The five humans and all the cattle on board perished in the crash. The NTSB report concluded that after rotation the aircraft was pitched to an abnormally high angle of attack that exceeded that required to stall the wing, 
with the existing accretion of ice. The performance of the aircraft was a result of the misuse of the flight controls by the captain, aggravated by the existence of airframe icing. As with the previous accident, this wasn't the only finding. Fast forward to 2008 and the flight of Aeroflot Nord 821 from Moscow to Perm in Russia. On board the late-night flight of the Boeing 737-500 series was a crew of six and 82 passengers. Although the company operating this aircraft claimed that the flight crew were very experienced and one of the best in the airline, it appears that the captain had only occupied the left seat for a little over 450 hours and his first officer had considerably less experience. Both pilots had extensive time flying the Russian Tupolev Tu-134 and the Antonov An-2 and they had submitted false documents showing that they had passed the required courses on the Boeing they were now flying. The flight had started with the usual Aeroflot pre-flight briefing followed by a medical check at the medical office of Aeroflot where the crew received permission to fly. Just after nine in the evening, with preparations complete, Flight 821 got airborne and completed an uneventful flight to the start of the descent into Perm. Uneventful, that is, other than mandatory cross-checks were not carried out. Flight modes were changed without informing the other pilot. No call-outs about the FMA indications or flight mode changes were made. The checklists were not read and at times control was passed from one pilot to another without the mandatory call-out, which resulted in situations when, during some portions of the flight, virtually nobody controlled the aircraft. On arriving overhead the airfield, the crew started a series of procedural turns to position the aircraft on the instrument landing system for runway 21. After a base turn, they were approaching the landing course at a height of 2,000 feet, manually flying the aircraft with the autopilot and autothrottle disengaged. An additional defect required the pilot to set different thrust lever positions to ensure that the engines provided equal thrust. This required the levers to be staggered by up to 15 degrees, adding to the handling difficulty. By now the crew had configured the aircraft by putting the gear down and selecting flap 30. During the turn, flown by the first officer, he matched the thrust levers, which created a significant yawing moment to the left, and he didn't apply rudder to compensate. The aircraft was being flown poorly, with significant changes of altitude, speed, pitch and roll, and fluctuations of thrust. Then the aircraft was pitched up to over 20 degrees, and it reached 4,300 feet, leading to a significant reduction of speed to around 110 knots. Being poorly positioned to intercept the ILS, the controller ordered them to go around. The captain acknowledged but failed to comply. Instead, he turned left and asked to continue his approach. The controller again insisted that they go around and told them to go to another frequency. Whilst the captain was conducting this lengthy discussion with the air traffic controller, he failed to monitor the flight properly. When he did act, 
not having situational awareness, he abruptly applied left bank, rolling the aircraft to 70 degrees. The first officer tried to correct the situation, but the captain finally overturned the 737, causing it to pitch down to 65 degrees. From this extreme attitude, it was impossible to recover, and the aircraft crashed, killing all on board. The inquiry concluded that the accident was caused by spatial disorientation, exacerbated by the conventional Western-style attitude indicator fitted to the Boeing, which differed significantly from the type used on older Russian aircraft that both pilots had flown. Amongst the findings of the accident were references to fatigue, a lack of training, a lack of experience and poor aircraft maintenance. The unexpected behaviour of the captain was put down to a high level of emotional stress, most likely caused by a significant factor. I bring these three accidents to your attention for a very good reason. They're all linked. Having recently published the tale of Ian Palmer, and in his interview listened to him describe the condition that resulted in his dependence on alcohol, I thought it was worth examining what can happen when flight crews, unlike Ian, don't take responsibility for their lives. For a significant factor that is present in all three crashes is alcohol. Let's go back to the first accident, that of the Aero DC-3. To this very day, this remains the deadliest civilian aircraft accident in the history of Finland, which is a remarkable tribute to the professionalism of their pilots since 1961. The accident investigation revealed that neither pilot was in a fit state to fly. The captain, for example, had a blood alcohol content of 0.2 and his first officer a little less but still more than twice the normally accepted level today for driving a car. The previous evening they had been drinking heavily, consuming with one other 16 bottles of beer, 7 gin grogs and cognac. They finished up at 2 in the morning and were probably awake 4 hours later to go to the airport. Even in 1961, the provisions of the ICAO Treaty and the pilots' job contracts barred intoxication whilst in command of a plane, provisions that the pilots ignored. Of the JAL DC-8 crew, only the captain had been drinking the night before, but when he reported for duty the next day it was obvious to several people that something was wrong. Witnesses reported that his face was red, his eyes glassy and his speech disjointed and slurred. He had difficulty getting out of his taxi and was obviously having trouble staying on his feet. His cab driver was so concerned that he called his office, who in turn contacted the JAL control room. The agent who took the call promised to look into it, but by the time he informed his manager the flight was already taxiing out. The Japanese first officer and flight engineer were obviously witnesses to the captain's behaviour, his lack of motor skills and the errors that he made. But such were their cultural influences and the authority gradient that they felt. They preferred to accept the situation rather than intervene. 
The young first officer was concerned enough to try to discuss it with the flight engineer in Japanese, but the other man was too busy with his flight preparations. Although we know nothing of the Aeroflot captain's behaviour before his fatal flight, we do know that he had broken several regulations by submitting falsified documents in order to get his job with the airline. We also know that he was severely fatigued because his flying schedule broke national regulations in the three days preceding the accident. He had flown six flights, two of which had been night flights, so he'd been unable to get a night's sleep. However, forensic examination of his remains confirmed the presence of alcohol in the captain's body before his death. The maximum blood alcohol content for driving in countries around the world is generally between 0.02 and 0.08. The estimated BAC for the captain of this flight when trying to land was 0.12. The term alcoholism was originally coined in 1849 by Magnus Huss, and until the 1940s it referred primarily to the physical consequences of long-term heavy drinking. A narrower and more modern concept is that it is a disease caused by a pre-existing biological abnormality and having a predictable progressive course. Medically, alcoholism is considered both physical and a mental condition with environmental factors and genetics being the two components, with about half the risk attributed to each. But you don't have to be an alcoholic to fly with an unsafe level of alcohol in your body. And the only safe level is zero. Flying is an environment where the pilot's senses, coordination and mental faculties are vital to the safe conduct of a flight. Getting airborne, having taken something that might impair one's flying ability, is a complete anathema to the vast majority of aviators out there. So it's vital that we look at ourselves and our fellow pilots to recognize those who might need help. The comradeship of flying communities, whether they be your friends at the local flying club or getting together with your airline crew, commonly revolves around having a drink or two, which is fine. What is vital, however, is the need to ensure that you are both well rested and sober before climbing into the cockpit. And please remember, it's both a personal responsibility and the responsibility of your peers to ensure that happens. Now, whose round is it? And fly safe out there. I join you. I, I just dropped in for a little drink to settle my nerves before I go to work. Work. <laughs> what, what, what sort of work do you do? I'm an air, airline pilot. <laughs> I think I'm going to send an email to I'm offended at <laughs> for that last one. Absolutely. Quite right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Well, well I done. thought it, uh, it was almost the last one I'm going to do on alcohol. Um, well, almost. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is one more. 
I'm aware of. There is one more because yeah. we we have to uh, acknowledge the fact that uh, whilst we understand it's uh, not appropriate to mix flying and alcohol, there is uh, quite a tradition amongst uh, airline crews, pilots, uh, military people the world over to uh, have a few beers after a flight in their favorite watering hole. And uh, the next plane tale will um, cover some of those watering holes. I can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Absolutely. A, a positive spin on things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The other no, side of the coin. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. I think Mostly positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, that was uh, very good. Thank you again mm -hmm. for all the hard work you put into those. Even though uh, it doesn't sound like you do sometimes, but no. you know, thank you for it. No, I'm just kidding. It always sounds like you do. Always does. <laughs> I'm glad I got a snort out of you on that one. Yeah, you certainly uh, did, so. So here's the deal. We have, I don't know, something under an hour remaining in the show, and I'm thinking so as to not make it too long because we're going to be adding um, – Miami Rick later on this evening. I'm wondering yeah, if it might be you know how he time. goes on. I know. I mean, I should have left a couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> Cut uh, us off after yeah. an hour. Just Well, you might get through one piece of feedback. Maybe. Well, we'll make it a good one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So is there anything here on, in the feedback? Uh, I mean, the nice thing about it is that we can, even if it's really, really great feedback that we haven't gotten to yet, we can always move it to the next one and that'll make Liz happy. So, um, why don't we go ahead and end the uh, first part of the uh, of the podcast right now, unless there's something you're just dying to cover before we stop. Well, it's just that we talked about uh, Finland a little bit in this. Oh, oh we, yeah, we should do that. Good call. Good we, call. we did get number 12. I thought perhaps that won't take long. All right. Um, greetings from Finland. APG 430 in my ears and a mediocre Australian bulk beer in my hand. Might <laughs> be worse. This is on our Facebook page, and this guy I told we we uh, several of us uh, you know, re replied to. Um, his name is Iro Iro Lasco, and that's, um, that's interesting. I wonder if uh, the there's a uh, mesh Wi-Fi system that is sold here in the U.S. called an Eero. In fact, I have one right here in my uh, in my basement. And I'm wondering if that has anything to do with this guy's, because it's spelled exactly the same way. Interesting. Do you think he's the CEO yeah. of this company and he's just having a... Oh, wow. Maybe he is. Know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, great uh, great picture of Iro, Iro Lasko in Finland on a hammock, uh, enjoying uh, the uh, Fosters and wearing uh, the same T-shirt that I'm wearing. Same color and everything. Wow. Same shirt. Yeah, I didn't even realize it. I did not plan that actually. <laughs> and being sure. an and being a Nielsen, uh, you're um, also Scandahoovian. I am Scandahoovian, sort of. Exactly right. Like him. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Finland's considered Scandahoovian. I don't know. I don't know what all the rules are. No. Or oh, as we used to say, Scandahooligan. <laughs> Anyway, so what's cool about this is, and we were all excited when we when we found we got a message from somebody in Finland, is that the uh, the reach of the uh, show is truly all around the world. It's a global phenomenon or a, glo a global mm, problematic thing. Maybe that's a global that's right. uh, phenomenon. Delinquency. 
Yeah, global, <laughs> a global something parent pariah. <laughs> what? A global yeah. pandemic. Yes, there you go. Oh, uh, that's a different thing. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, thank you, Idro, for sending in the feedback. And great to know that we have folks listening to us from all. Now, he did uh, have to run everything through a translator, and he says he really has no idea what we're saying because he doesn't speak English. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's enjoying the show. So. Well, uh, actually, uh, when your phone goes to iOS 14, there's supposed to be a, there an on-the-spot yeah. translator that'll do it mm. for you. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. No, obviously, he, he uh, understands English. You know, it just reminds me, we used to have a lovely Finnish uh, senior cabin crew uh, on the uh, aircraft when I f first came to the company. And whenever we did uh, a Tokyo flight and we were going to go over Finland, she would always rush up to the flight deck and gaze down at her country. Uh, beautiful it is. And she she would, you know, burst into tears because she would go, this is my home. I haven't seen it for ages. And she used to get very emotional, very uh yeah, yeah, she'd love her country. Very cool. Well, speaking of Finnish, <laughs> it is bam, time Very for us to finish the first part of ABGA uh, 431. So I'm going to have, uh, Steph, are you going to be back with us later on? Yeah, I think so. I got, uh, I'm going to start some laundry and do some okay. adulting things and um, just let me know when you're ready to go. All right. Clear out. Can we watch the adulting things? Ooh, yeah. That'll be and no, Just, you know, things that Where adults have mind? to do, Where is like mind? laundry uh, and cleaning and get ready for work on a Monday work, coming up. So, Nick, I'm going to have you say, do your goodbye so I can put it at the end of the show. All right. Bye, everybody. Perfect. Au revoir. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Cheers. In the chat. Thanks for coming. Um, if you're going to join us later on, just look for something in the social meds, and we'll see you later. If not, uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for all the fish. Indeed. <laughs> see you in a few. Bye-bye. What? What? Who's Look who's here. Wow. From... <laughs> is um, Mobile Studio in the place that spawned his name in Miami, Florida. World traveler, airplane mechanic, Breitling Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. Happy to uh, happy to be back. And uh, I'm in Miami. How about that? Yeah. It's, um, you've spent a lot of time in your life down there in Miami, haven't you? Quite a bit, and I can't seem to get away from this place. Every time I have to go back to school, I come here. Every time yeah. I have to, you know, there's there's big cargo hub here for every airline I've ever flown for, uh, passengers as well. So uh, this is kind of like um, second home, I guess I would say. Home away from now, home. It's second home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of yeah. nice. Though. It's like putting on a like a well-worn glove, right? Either that or walking around a sauna, but uh, either way. Oh, yeah, well. Yeah, but you know Arizona is not cool this time of year. The dry heat, yeah, but at least it's not. Yeah, at least it's dry. not uh, humid. You know, yeah, that's true. Arizona feels like Kuwait. Yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <I've never been laughs> you're not missing out anything. Really. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
So uh, we were uh, we recorded the first part of the show, about two-thirds of it, actually a little hmm. bit more than two-thirds of it earlier. Uh, you were going to join us for that, um, but you uh, your your schedule got adjusted. Yes, it did. So uh, I um, so yesterday, actually, I'll, I'll fill you guys in. I uh, I did a two-day trip or three-day, well, I, I forget. It's it just kind of, you know, it, everything kind of runs together, but for the first time in a long time, I actually got to fly with the same guy for four flight sectors, one of which was this uh, my colleague's uh, annual line check. So he got to sit in the right seat of the 7-6 for the first time in, man, years and years and years and years. So um, I did that. We went from uh, we went from Wilmington down to Houston, from Houston down here to Miami, and then we went from Miami to uh, back to Houston, and then from Houston up to uh, Wilmington up in Ohio. Uh, that was yesterday. And then a day, I was supposed to deadhead on uh, a company aircraft down here. Um, but at the last minute, my schedule was adjusted. So instead of um, uh, just writing on company uh, metal down here, they said, hey, how would you like to uh, actually do a little bit of driving? I was like, do I have a choice? Like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's so, your lucky day. <laughs> so, you get to fly. <laughs> so I, uh, I, uh, I did the, uh, did the, the, the sector down here at Cincinnati and uh, I just got here a little while ago. Um, got out of the airplane and uh, ran over to the hotel, took a shower, changed what? And uh, went over to the next door, get something to eat, came running back, and here I am. Man, we appreciate that effort. And I know our audience does. Always good to see you. No, I'm happy to be here. Excellent. So uh, we, we talked about just a couple of news items, not a lot. Um, but as I mentioned before, we started recording with you. Um, we'll be definitely talking about the Pakistan International Airways uh, crash. Uh, they just came out with a preliminary report. and. Uh, mm. We're gonna we're gonna let uh, Rick get a good read of that. It's, it's a short read, and you'll be you know uh, amazed at <laughs> all the strange things that happened on that one. And then uh, we'll talk about it again, probably uh, on the next show. And then we'll probably continue to talk about it until they finally come out with the final report. Sounds good. I did I did read uh, the um, something about the the um, the state of the licenses of a lot of those uh, pilots over there. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's quite quite the interesting read, and I, uh, I you know, had me scratching my head there for a while, going, "How in the heck?" But yep. yeah, I'll 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 get caught up on that, and it's going to be good discussion, absolutely. All right. Um, so, uh, anything else uh, to tell us about uh, getting to know us, kind of segment stuff, uh, or are we all caught up with you? Uh, I think we're caught up. I'm uh, on the road. Uh, well, I sit here in Miami on reserve, short reserve, actually, which is nice for a change because when I do it up in Cincinnati, I, I have to go from one hotel to the other because uh, your, your your layover hotel is downtown Cincinnati and the short, girl hotel, uh, short call hotel is right next to the airport and you have to go from one place to another, which is kind of counterproductive. But here mm-hmm. you, you, you just sit at the hotel the whole time. I'm literally right next to the airport. So if, the, uh, mm-hmm. if I get the call, which I hope I don't, um, I can be you know in the jet and uh, with the brakes released within an hour and a half, which is kind of the plan. So uh, I'll do that till uh, the 5th. So, you know, barring yeah. they don't use me, I'll be here the whole time. Excellent. Mm-hmm. No better place than Florence, Kentucky, right? Uh, no, Miami, Florida, right now. 
Oh, but I know. But aren't, I thought you said you're. Oh, you're you're uh, sitting reserved down there. Yeah, down here, Miami. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Sorry. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I was some doing some other things in the background and not. I know. I was like, I was like, what? What's in Florence? <laughs> in my mind, when you're talking about the close hotel, I'm thinking, no, oh, he's in Cincinnati, and never mm-hmm. mind. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. What is the? Uh, where is it? Here go. Shut up, Jeff. All right. Now um, we'll blame it on the hour. It's it's late. Yeah. You know, it's way past my bedtime. Not really. <laughs> I usually stay up until after midnight. Not that I'm thinking very clearly at that time, but I do stay up that late. Okay, uh, let's uh, head over to some feedback that uh, perhaps is applicable to you, Rick. Okay. Uh, number 19, Ham Radio Jim. He specifically says, for Miami Rick. That's why we didn't touch it. Oh, wow. I know that guy. Yeah. When you were describing the exacting schedules of the freight carriers you now fly versus the seemingly random schedules that military logistics folks have, I couldn't help think of the phrase we used to say to describe these military military carriers when I was flying uh, on them as a passenger. The current major comm, the MAGCOM, with the um, Major Command, I guess that stands for MAGCOM, mm-hmm. with the cargo flights, AMC is Airspace Mobility Command. But when I was in active duty, we had the Military Airlift Command. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Or MAC. Perhaps Captain Jeff remembers this one. Yes, I do. They would make us arrive at the MAC passenger terminal two or three hours ahead of our scheduled departure time, only to find the plane we were supposed to fly on was four hours late. That led some of us to change the name from Military Airlift Command to Maybe Airplane Come. that's true uh but the planes always did arrive i must admit nice to have you back as a regular rick i look forward to much good cricket time in the future and i'm trying to quickly find the crickets and of course i can't there we go there we go (laughs) the crickets all right that's uh ham radio jim and uh so what do you think about all that do you uh it's i mean it's true the um I haven't done any uh, AMC flying as of yet on the 7.6, um, but I did quite a bit of it on the 7.4, both uh, passengers and uh, cargo. And um, yeah, AMC flying tends to be a little uh, little hit and miss as far as the schedule is concerned, but it's it's really because of reasons that, that, uh, that have nothing to do with us because the military, what they do is they'll book the airplane for a certain block of hours and use that block of hours to adjust their their schedules accordingly. Um, so sometimes, uh, obviously, on these military jet uh, military uh, flights where we carry passengers, we'll also carry some cargo, albeit non it's it's, it's not answered as cargo, but stuff that still needs to get from point A to point B. So sometimes the delays because of that. Um, I've never had any delays. Uh, on military flights where I just carry just, just, or not, not, not ordinance, but, but just cargo, uh, based on, um, overflight permits or anything like that. But there, there's, there's things that need to be taken into consideration when you're flying an airplane full of ordinance, um, because you can't fly over certain airspaces, certain countries won't let you fly, you know, overfly their territory. Um, and then, uh, but it's, it's true. You know, you can't really set your watch by AMC flights. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you will you will get there because that's you know that's basically the contract, and uh, that's kind of how that goes. Yeah, not like a Swiss train, but uh, no, no, it's not. But how how was it? How was it in the in, in the military? Actually, was it kind of the same or? Yeah, yeah, it was the same. Um, but 
you know, it was, we got there. Yeah. <laughs> as, as I like to say um, with uh, Acme, if we were running a late uh, because of a whatever delay, usually mechanical or something like that, I say, you know, welcome aboard Acme Flight 431, um, same day service to Miami. <laughs> that usually gets a chuck a lot of people if they're not too upset <laughs> so, right but no, I, used to, uh, I, used, I used to uh well and it's just like you say you know it's kind of sometimes you get there on time sometimes you don't but uh you just try to you try to do the best you can really but it's really interesting flying i remember uh uh when you do um just just um freight flying and you carry ordnance uh you can't you can't so they basically park you it's called a hot patch so it's a place far away from the terminal or far far away from infrastructure and that kind of makes you feel nice you know it's like uh you know, kind of why are they keeping us away from everything yeah, why are we all the way over here you know yeah and um it's uh it's interesting so yeah a lot some of the most interesting flying i've done so far is has been uh, amc flying um the places you go to man i tell you you see some very interesting things yeah, you probably see some things. I, I remember seeing some things that I wish I hadn't. <laughs> like, yep, me too. I'd really mm-hmm. rather not know about this. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another, yeah. uh, another saying I like to say when we're running late is it's, uh, to, it's better to arrive late in this life than early in the next. That's true. That's true. Another interesting thing is I remember um, coming into. So it's 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 very it's, it's very different the demeanor obviously of or you know brave young men and women going to overseas versus the demeanor of those coming back and uh coming back you can feel an, an air of like a celebratory air in the in, in, in the jet and everybody's like, happy everybody, and, everybody's relieved yeah. and um as you come in uh into uh, uh baltimore because we do a lot of those flights from uh ramstein air force base into baltimore uh, all seven all uh, passenger seven force uh approach control they're very always you know very happy to have us back and they always uh are very welcoming of the troops and they and, and they make that known to us you know just tell us to pass that on to the guys at the back and uh, it's always nice you know it, it makes it makes us um it gets us excited as well and as you walk out um uh, out of the terminal out of the international uh, international arrivals uh you see all kinds of welcoming parties and there's groups of volunteers that greet um, uh, the troops and it's, it's always nice to kind of just, you know, take that all in a little bit and just a- admire that. Cause it's, I mean, so some of these guys and gals have been gone for months at a time and mm-hmm. you can really see it in their faces that they're happy. So, uh, and yeah. a lot, probably a lot of the people that they know oh, aren't absolutely. coming back yeah. or yeah. not coming back in one piece. Exactly. All right. Well, good question. Thank you. Uh, ham radio, Jim. Uh, let's move to Ramiro mm-hmm. 20. Uh, greetings, APG crew. Welcome back, Miami Rick, the man, the myth, the legend. Wait, oh. the man, the myth, the legend. Oh, wow. When I started listening to APG almost three years ago, Rick was not on the show, and it was really great. Um, no, he didn't say that. But was <laughs> <Just> often, commentary. <laughs> but was often talked about, and most of the time, the crew had good things. <laughs> most of the time, the crew had good things to say about him. Hey, Ramiro, shut up. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't. Don't throw us under the bus here, Ramiro. Right? <laughs> All the time, of course. He, he says, I'm kidding, of course. As a matter of fact, if Rick had not come back to the show, Jeff would have had to rename the podcast because after the retirement of the coal burner, Rick is the only active flying airline pilot. 
Yeah. Technically <laughs> speaking. True. That's kind of true. <laughs> it's really true. That's true. It's 100% true. true. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's above 50. We're there. <laughs> I, uh, let's not dwell on that, shall we? Um, I do have a question, so I'll get to it. I don't right. see, uh, yeah, get to it, Ramiro. I don't see a lot of Airbus A330-200F freighters, at least not in the U.S. The big three cargo carriers don't have any in their fleet, and a quick search on the Internet didn't turn up too many A332Fs. Why do you think it hasn't been more popular with the cargo outfits? Really? It seems to me that... Hang on, let me finish. We need, we have to say this one, say this one for Rick because I know he's got uh, some opinions on this. He I'm says uh, it seems to me that it is has roughly the same capacity as the seven six seven three hundred, and being a newer aircraft should have better fuel economy. Yet UPS, FedEx, and Atlas have ignored this jet. Is it because Airbus pilots are too sophisticated to spend their time flying rubber dog poo out of Hong Kong? I put that in for Nick. <laughs> That's what he says. That was not me. That was Ramiro again. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the A332F. Love the podcast. Take care, all. Ramiro. Okay, now, go. Well, it's an Airbus. <laughs> oh, you want. <laughs> what else is there to say? <laughs> Next question. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, now, to be fair, the 330 is a, it's a, it's a very good jet. The thing with the 330-200F particularly is that it's... it's um. It's an adaptation, obviously, of the 330 passenger jet. And um, I don't know if you've ever looked at a 330 freighter uh, closely. There's this fairing underneath the nose landing gear that regular uh, A330s don't have. The reason behind that is that normal A330s actually sit slightly nose down Mm -hmm. uh, when they're parked. And that makes it a little hard for, uh, for the loading and unloading. Because if you're loading, obviously, those pallets have to go uphill. And so for... For the airplane to be level, the only way really to 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 make that happen is by, you know, jerry rigging a couple of uh, spacers on the nose landing gear there and put a fairing on it and make it look pretty, and so that way the airplane is now level. Um, the capacity, as far as capacity, the three thirty two hundred does have uh, larger capacity than than a uh, than a uh, seven six, both volume and weight wise. But really, where the seven six has the upper hand is really twofold. Um, the uh, first of all, the, the the number of seven six seven frames available out there for conversion is so high that it's a lot cheaper for airlines to just go out and get a seven six and convert it, or buy a a, a second hand converted seven six. Now, airlines like UPS and FedEx. They're still ordering. Well, yeah, actually, both of them, UPS and FedEx, are they're still ordering seven six seven three hundred freighters, and they're still coming off the uh, the assembly lineup in Seattle, um, brand new. But the really the bulk of the seven six freighter market are jets that have been converted uh, to freighters after uh, being passenger jets. Um, I do see some. I, I used to see them quite a bit in uh, in Hong Kong. Hong Kong Airlines has uh, quite a few seven, uh, 330 uh, freighters, I, quite a bit of Qatar cargo ones as well. Although I didn't, I didn't see that many. I, I would see a, you know, I'd see one of those every once in a while in Amsterdam. Um, and uh, Turkish Airlines also has um, uh, 330 freighters, but the 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 one airline that has, that I've seen that has the most of them, at least personally, is actually here in Miami. It's a um, Colombian airline, uh, flag carrier from Colombia called Avianca. And uh, they operate quite uh, quite the fleet of them. Um, 
So, I mean, they're, they're still around. Uh, just like everything Airbus does, they're not making it anymore. So, um, you know, that, that's, that, I guess, uh, you know, tells you something about, uh, what, uh, airlines, well, and, and you have to think, you know, also the fact that, uh, and, you know, all, all jokes aside here, it's about, it's about flexibility. It's about scalability and, uh, it's about, uh, operating cost. So if you have a lot of something and it's easy to convert and it's, and parts are readily available, then obviously that's going to be your choice. Cause at the end of the day, it's all about dollars and cents. So not that it's a bad airplane, but it's just, you know, it's just not a lot of those jets around. So it's a little bit harder to, to, you know, to maintain, operate and all that. So, and even, even more so now when, you know, everything, look at airlines are basically operating on a, on, not on a shoestring, but the idea is to keep those operating revenue margins as, 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 as large as possible. Mm-hmm. On the uh, video podcast I have on the screen, I'm sharing my screen right now with a cutter um, A332-F. And I always wondered about, you know, I saw pictures of the freighters. I, it never dawned on me why there was that special little bump underneath mm-hmm. the, uh, or right in the nose wheel area. But now it makes sense. And I can see now it's a nice level kind of uh, attitude and not that nose down attitude yeah you and the passenger uh, absolutely yeah i had apparently just not paid enough attention to realize that it actually did sit a little nose down i was like really oh yeah i'm not yeah Yeah, it just does have but i just never like registered Mm -hmm. no i mean i wonder if that's if because if that if if that is actually by design it's quite interesting because usually airplanes cruise at about a 2.5 degree nose up attitude Mm-hmm. So if that happens to be the added, I don't know what the attitude is on 330s, normal 330s, but if it's actually around that neighborhood, when you're cruising around, the airplane would be nice to level, which would make it easy mm-hmm. for, for for cabin crew to, you know, uh, to go up and down the aisle uh, doing their service. Because I, I remember when I used to fly passengers, one of the um, uh, really complaints from, from cabin crew was having to go towards the back of the, uh, towards the front of the airplane, you know, uphill. If you really wanted to be mean to them, which I don't understand why you would be, you'd, you'd climb a little early and the airplane would be at about, you know, three to three and a half degrees and <laughs> be really hard on them. So. Well, I would, I would say to them. doing that. I can't get the drinks <laughs> I would the say to the them, <laughs> they're a bunch of whiners because the L-1011 at cruise is like six degrees. Real? Six what? degrees? Yeah, or five degrees. It was, like, it was considerably higher than a oh, regular. Wow. Two, typically, as you as Rick just mentioned, two and a half degrees is typical. Uh, but this thing, and, and you don't really notice it when you're in the cockpit flying and then you get up out of your seat to go to the restroom and you go, whoa, <laughs> start flying, <laughs> falling down. Just roll down the, uh, the yeah. And the, the flight attendants really hated, you know, the, um, the tr- doing the cabin service with the, oh, yeah. with the truck. I mean, they should have just had a way that you could you know, start at the front of the cabin, just work to the and back and then it. reset <laughs> on the ground. Yeah. So it's all just, you can just ride it down, you know, like your shopping cart. Just but but here's the thing about the 1011. So the the uh, the the galley actually kitchens were downstairs. So there was oh. there were yeah there were elevators yeah. from the, from, okay. from uh, lower part of the jet you know below the passenger level and then you'd go up and then um, so that way I guess you had more room for uh, for for paying for Prep. revenue passenger yeah. not passengers. So uh, yeah. but I tell you if I came back to the cockpit and I looked down at my uh, at my attitude indicator and I saw five five and a half degree pitch, it'd be like what the heck? Going, yeah, you're, you're, like, the what did you do? Standing on the back of your neck, like what are you doing? You know we're about to stall. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it was uh, interesting. Okay. I never knew that. Wow, look at that. Yeah. So uh, great, good, uh, good info there on the three thirty two F. Thank you, Rick. Uh, our expert freight dog guy. 
Uh, let's see. I think uh, Liz wanted me to go next to maybe number 10. So that's number 10 in the feedback folder. This is from Michael Andrew. Oh, yeah. He, he didn't send this to our feedback address. He sent it um, directly to a few of us. Um, and so I put the... Um, put this in the uh, in the regular feedback folder for everyone to see and the thing i was having a discussion with um was this the one uh liz that i was really impressed with uh, the way he wrote uh or comp- um maybe not i don't know i might be getting confused i think that was a different one it was a different one it was yeah and yeah mind. okay yeah, it was yeah. a different piece of feedback okay well this we're going to read this one anyway uh hi captain jeff and crew relatively long time year listener here Though this is my first feedback, cue jeering, I was heading home from the airport at which I'm flying these days, Smith Reynolds, K-I-N-T, I think. Very familiar. Knows yep. that, ah. In mm-hmm. Winston-Salem. And happened to look at the arrivals board on InflightAware as I was leaving. I saw that there was an inbound 737-800 from San Diego, flight SWQ-9820, due to arrive within the hour. Recognizing the Swift Air identifier, I assumed it must have been a ferry flight for maintenance, since most of the charter traffic on that type of equipment that we get around here is for sports teams, and, well, there aren't a whole lot of sports happening these days. North State Aviation has a pretty substantial maintenance outfit at INT, so that theory made sense. At any given point, we've got at least four or five United 737s, 757s on the north ramp having work done. What caught my attention, you you agree? I agree. Um, at any given point, we've got at least four. No, I just read that. Let me uh, move down. What caught my attention with this flight, though, was that the filed time en route was over seven hours, which seemed pretty long for a flight crossing the country west-east. Then I noticed the filed cruise altitude of just 9,000 feet. California to North Carolina at 9,000 feet in a 737. Out of sheer curiosity, I looked up the tail number, November 820TJ, and was greeted with a few links to a very recent incident report. As it turns out, this was the aircraft that somehow lost parts of the vertical stab in Victorville a few weeks ago. I guess after it landed in San Diego, it stayed there until they could get a permit to ferry it across the country and... Uh, had it airworthy enough to do so. It looks like the actual repairs will be happening here in Winston, though I know Swift Air, or iAero, has a base next door in Greensboro. I guess not taking it up to normal cruising altitude speed and putting undue strain on the airframe in the process makes a lot of sense, but I was wondering if any of you guys, especially Captain Rick with a maintenance background, had any familiarity with ferry flight operations like this one, basically extended ops at low altitude. I know pretty little about acceptable deferred defects, ADD, and the like, but I'm, I'd am i assume this situation has something to do with that. It'd also be very interesting to hear if Captain Nick had differing experiences with or knowledge regarding these types of ops in the UK, though I'd imagine the FAA and CAA probably have a similar regulatory approach to these sorts of things. I snapped a few photos and have attached them here. In case you were all interested, it appears they installed a temporary piece where the that fin that extends 15-ish feet up the fuselage from the tail on 737s. I forget what the part's called, but I remember the other Captain Jeff mentioning it on a recent episode, and I believe that piece made up the biggest chunk of the stuff that came off of the original flight. Uh, 
There were definitely still parts panels missing along the bottom of the stab as well. I know the photos and video aren't the best, but hopefully you could make some some out of that. Uh, thanks for all that each of you does for the APG and aviation communities at large. This podcast and community continues to be a huge inspiration for young pilots like myself, especially in challenging seasons like these. And of course, Shout out to Dr. Steph and all other medical professionals for all you do for your patients and for holding steady on the front lines of the COVID battle. Oh, and one final thing. Do I need to report ABG syndrome on medicals? Tailwinds and good health, Michael Andrew. I w- you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm not a doctor, Michael, but I would definitely not even mention anything about yeah, the APG no, syndrome. No, 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 no. That's just... No, no Oklahoma yeah. City has put out an all-points bulletin on that one, and they say, nope. Anybody yeah. mentions that, they're at. They're, it's they're immediate. Done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Provoke your medical. I like, I like his, uh, his title, I, like, I Hyper Cherokee Gear Tolerance Tester. That's perfect. Is that on 3060 <laughs> Bravo or... Oh, let's see. Gear Tolerance Tester. Yeah, there's there's a couple of <laughs> Cherokees, a couple of archers there. <laughs> he sent me a separate um uh, DM on Twitter too, um, and I just have not been back up to Winston, but uh, it sounds like he's there's a separate thing there where he's probably not staying there too much longer. But I'll I will let you know if I get back up there sometime soon, Michael. Nice, excellent. Yeah, I was uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, if 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 you don't. Uh... I mean, obviously, if you stay low to the, um, you know, b- below below ten thousand feet, it's obviously a pressurization issue. Um, obviously, you're not pressurizing the uh, the the vessel, um, and so. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know why you would, uh, what the 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 parts missing from that airplane have to do with not not being able to pressurize. I, I didn't really, you know, I'm not not familiar exactly what happened um, besides the airplane missing some parts. Mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting how the the routing is actually um, just on the U.S.-Mexico border there um, uh, on the south, uh, in Arizona, New Mexico. So you kind of get around having to fly um, over the Rockies that way mm-hmm. uh, because when you fly um, uh, when you fly over... Oh, yeah, you have terrain, to be over 10,000 for sure. Well, well yeah, you not only that, but you have to have um, you have to be above a minimum uh, a exactly. minimum uh, obstacle yeah. clearance altitude, and then uh, then and other considerations come to mind as far as uh, um, radio communication coverage, um, uh, navigate coverage, and uh, so all, all these and basically the MEA minimum ground route altitude kind of takes care of all that stuff. Um, so it's, it's interesting how he flew to the, they flew to the South uh, to kind of get around that there. I, you know, looking at that chart that he included, the last uh, image, um, just above the movie, which uh, doesn't show up as a movie here. Um, I, I, the way I read this and he's above 10 or they are above 10, they're probably just above 10,000 feet or right at 10,000 feet mm-hmm. all the way over. And that would allow them. And, it, and, it, and it's shown here in the, in the speed is, oh, here we go. Speed is, here we go. is above, is, a, you know, is above 250 knots for at least the, the first part of the flight. So, yep. 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 Um, I see what, I see what you, I see what, uh, and I, I, I think data lines there. Yep. There was something I read that said that they thought one of the theories regarding the reason why that, that big giant piece popped off was there, they, they have had some issues with, um, some skin and pressurization issues and small, you know, holes forming right in that area. And mm. I'm thinking maybe that, you know, there was some kind of a uh, pressure blowout and kind of popped that piece off the airplane. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they're concerned they did some kind of a patch there, but it's not 
good to go for like regular right. pressurization. So right. they probably were unpressurized. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they must have been. They must have been yeah. unpressurized. And and uh, so on an airplane, really, um, the one thing that you cannot overhaul is the the fuselage, the pressure vessel. You can't because mm-hmm. so every time you take off and you have and you go through a pressure station cycle. That's that that is itself in itself called a cycle. So uh, that's that's really what um, that's really why you see a lot of these not newer types, but um, you'll see newer type airplanes that fly short haul uh, being put to, out to pasture relatively soon because that uh, that that fuselage reaches that maximum of of cycles and it's it's not usable anymore. And so yeah, obviously by 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 looking at this altitude versus speed plot here. It's, it's clear that they, in fact, were not pressurized. And there's other systems on board that um, once you get past um, uh, 9,500 feet, and this is on, on basically all Boeings. That's the beauty of it. They all kind of work the same. Um, there's going to be a, an advi- a a warning, actually. Uh, and it, uh, on 737s, which I've never flown, but it's the same warning horn for just about everything and that's what caused that uh that crash uh, the helios crash in in, mm-hmm. in greece mm-hmm. when they forgot to to yep. set the pressure station system uh, so you'll get that 9500 and then um the higher up you go at uh, uh believe it's eleven thousand feet a cabin altitude there is a solenoid that's going to automatically close the outflow valve and this outflow valve is basically a it's a valve it's kind of like um you know, like a you know an opening in the back like of the, the pressure block. release but, uh-huh. Exactly. Basically, what happens is that you're tapping air off the engines and you're blowing up the uh, the fuselage like a balloon. And that outflow valve is what regulates that that pressure. Uh, and the idea is to get to 8.6 uh, PSI, uh, differential pressure, or delta P. <laughs> and and you fly at that, you know. There Sorry. you go. We'll lay, lay on that so, Exactly, and so you, you that's that's what that's what uh, if you get to to that altitude and uh, the airplane's not pressurized, and it's, or there's uh, because there's a hole somewhere else, or something's going on, then the system is designed to s- close that outflow valve completely to try to maintain that positive pressure in there. And then, obviously, at uh, fourteen thousand five hundred feet, the, the 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 switches, the solenoids that hold the doors for the um, oxygen mask in the in the back. That's going to let go, and then the masks are going to uh, release automatically. Uh, hmm. The famous rubber rubber jungle, yes, back the there. jungle, <laughs> you know. But uh, obviously, by by not climbing past any of those altitudes, there you're getting around that system issues, and, and, yeah. and and not not having to deal with them. So uh, clearly, the airplane was not pressurized. And as Captain Jeff mentioned here, the fact that the uh, that the speed uh, line here goes above uh, 250 knots, which in the states. It's mandatory, 250 knots below 10,000 feet. The fact that it's above that obviously tells me here that they did fly yeah. above uh, 10,000 feet, but no higher than 11. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I think- uh, as far as the uh, the um, the permits, uh, yeah, you do need to uh, you do need to contact uh, your 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 FISDO there, and you you need to have a ferry permit. Uh, obviously, uh, you need to file uh, and 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 be and get all the all, all the all the permits required, and then uh, your your fuel considerations have to be uh, you have to take that into account as well, because you are going to need a lot more fuel to uh, go cross country at uh, eleven thousand feet, yeah, ten thousand feet, <laughs> you know, versus versus uh, a lot higher. And the reason behind that is because um, 
any engine, any combustion engine, really, the way it works is it's it's a, it's it's a basic ratio. It's called the stoichiometric ratio, right? So it's fourteen point six units of air to one unit of fuel, and obviously, the higher you go, the lower the density is, and so that that there that that is linear to the amount of fuel required to maintain that fourteen point six to one ratio. So the lower you are, the heavier the air is, and so the more fuel you need to put in, so mm-hmm. that the mixture is right. And um, that's what airplanes, that's what, you know, fuel control units, uh, hydromechanical fuel control units do back in the day uh, with, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little complicated, but that's what they do. FCUs, that's what they do. And then nowadays, the FADEX and EEC, so electronic uh, engine controls, that's what they do. So they just basically maintain a 14.6 to 1. And so if you're going to fly cross country at 11,000 feet, you need a lot more fuel because you're flying a lot lower where air is a lot heavier, a lot denser, and you need to maintain a 14.6 to 1. So that's, uh, that's another thing to keep in mind there. Beautiful. Hey, I just noticed, um, just to kind of get a little off the track here in the in the chat room, uh, Tim Wiltonen is there, and he's talking about uh, just driving seven hours to St. Louis, listen to two episodes, sitting here with an IPA and my APG shirt, and I get a notice of the show live. A guy can only take so much. Very now, nice. That's we, very syndrome Tim. In the, in the um, first part of the show, uh, I talked about uh, going through Slack, and there's a Tim W., in slack and i'm wondering if are you the tim w on slack because if you are we uh, talked about you and you'll have to listen to the first part of the show Ooh. uh but um yeah about getting your uh instrument um rating or at least the written exam so if that's you congratulations and, i tell you uh, you get that one it's all downhill from there that's that's the for me at least that was the hardest one yeah was, i concur uh, that was it excellent all right <laughs> Um. Yeah, one of these days I'm going to get mine. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's it'd be it's helpful. a good idea. Not not necessary, know. but but helpful. I've always wondered how those guys can fly without seeing stuff outside. I don't I don't know how they do it. Yeah, you just close right. your eyes and yeah, hope for I, the just, best. I just always say, hey, you have the airplane. <laughs> that works out well for me. <laughs> um, nobody's caught on yet. Uh, yep, it was him. Uh, Tim has gotten back with us with a little bit of delay here. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations, Matt. Nice. So, it's a it's a triple whammy for you here tonight. Um, so, with that, um, I know it wasn't long for um, you know having Rick on the show with us on part two, but uh, we don't want to make this thing um, long too long in endurance. Oh, I get. Still do that, good night. Yeah, it just never, never stops. Sorry, and uh, that means that, uh, that's also what she said. <laughs> so, someone help us. Uh, okay, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So this is the time where we say thank you all for listening to the show, downloading it, watching it on YouTube, subscribing to us on YouTube. That's always helpful. Um, and uh, you know, leaving reviews and all that kind of telling your friends. Um, and uh, if you want to learn more about the show, if you're new to this, and or if you're if you've been listening for quite some time and have never gone and looked at our website, you should do that. It's airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, we're also on the social meets. We are. You can head over to twitter.com and we are at APG Crew. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. And uh, I've been a Slack. Well, we'll get to Slack in a second, but I've been a Slacker on Twitter. But we do have a presence there at APG Crew. We do. And uh, let's see. Uh, let's see if. Jeff, 
This is my private time. Hello, come on now. You got to do slap. Let me finish up two for one. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that you had to hear that. Um... <laughs> Okay, that's At good. Least he flushed. That's good that's a good. Yeah, don't forget to wash your hands. Okay, that sounds like he's washing his hands. Let's make sure he gets the full twenty seconds in. Supposed to oh, sing happy birthday. I, I don't think that was twenty seconds, Hello. <laughs> what the heck is on this man, pal, Jeff? Uh, we'll talk later, Halal. Come on over here and tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. Sorry, Jeff, I might have used all your skin lotion. That's okay. All right. <laughs> making himself at home. Yeah, well, that's what he does. And uh, uh, let's see, a big uh, round of applause for our, um, our producer, director yes. in the control room in Toronto. She does a fantastic job, makes us look good by doing all this work in the background. Thank you very much. We love you. And we all love all of you listening and watching. And until next time, we look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of the Airline Pilot Guy Show. Until then, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. And we'll see you next time. Be safe. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy?